Hello there, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Tap Calf Transmissions, our Star Wars podcast where we talk about all things Star Wars, but specifically Star Wars books. Uh, last time in our first episode, we talked about the truce at Bakura, and this week we're going to be talking about X-Wing Rogue Squadron. I am Corey, and my co-host, as always, is Mr. Eckhart Slatter. Dude, that intro is actually unbelievably clean. Like, I don't know. Did you have that written down somewhere? Or did you just crush it live first time? That was me crushing it live. Uh, that's going to be on some sort of stream highlights thing later tonight. Dude, that was that was clean. I got to say, especially it wasn't. Yeah, there that was two point five. This is really episode two point five. We did have a bit of audio issues. The last episode. Yeah, the last episode. Um, we'll recreate it live when we get to a uh, hundred episodes and have our live show. Yep. Well, uh, I guess to start off here, uh, this there was a few questions in the chat uh, about why Eckhart isn't live on his channel right now, the way this is going to work and uh, has worked in the past, even though it's only been one episode, <laughs> is we're alternating who's hosting the episodes. So the first episode was live on Eckhart's channel. This episode is live on mine. And our next episode will be on June 27th and will also be live on Eckhart's channel. And then afterwards... Uh, we're both recording, and it'll be available on both channels after the original airing. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's and, what we're trying, and I think it's... I quite like that, because next day you can get it on either channel, but it gives... You know, Corey's got a cozy little space over here. It's nice to stop by once in a while. Um, <laughs> so I think I think it works out well. This podcast is not brought to you by any specific drink manufacturers, but I will be drinking during this podcast. Oh. Well, that's very nice. professional of me because yeah. I'm very thirsty. But uh, in addition to watching this on the YouTube channels, we do have a podcast form from Popular Demand Now. If you want to listen to this in audio form only, uh, maybe on your commute, maybe on the toilet, maybe on a walk, we are available on Podbean and Spotify. If there's any other platforms you guys think we should be on, uh, then let us know as well and we'll do our best to get in as many places as possible. Uh, but there's links in the description to the audio podcast form, whether you're watching this in the live stream format or the uh, the YouTube VOD format. And there's also links to both of Eckhart's channels down there right now as well. Nice. Thank you, Corey. You're welcome. Now make sure the check doesn't bounce this time. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are trying out kind of some new stuff. You'll notice when we when you look at our stuff on Podbean or Spotify, it's all very raw, very new. So if you have any ideas for a good logo, um, anything like that, make sure to let us know. And again, as Corey said, um, let us know which platforms you prefer to listen on just because it takes a while to get approved for iTunes or wherever else. So just let us know um, where to focus on. I believe iTunes is like dying. So Yeah, they're... They're definitely killing it off, but it, they've still got the Apple Music or whatever, and I think Apple Podcasts would be part of that. But, uh, yeah, so... Should we start? That would probably be a good idea. Yeah, we've been writing Our book so. this week, <laughs> as you can see on the thing, and also on the camera now, is X-Wing Rogue Squadron by Michael A. Stackpole. Uh, so an X-Wing, for those of you who may not be aware, is a type of starfighter. Uh, common in the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. Very but, common, uh, I'd say. Well, yeah, so for military to... starfighters. And also some police work, because right. Corsac uses some That's as well. Right. That's right, but, but yeah, we're jumping the gun a bit. Um, yeah. So some 
some basic background. 1996, book one of the X-Wing trilogy. Um, I'd say, we talked about this last episode, but I'd say one of the most positively um, anticipated, you know, big arcs of Star Wars. Did I say X-Wing trilogy? I meant X-Wing series. Um, how many books are there in total, Corey? I want to say there's eight, but I could be off on that because mm-hmm. they did add, there was the original set and then there's, right. there's like uh, it starts with Enders a little bit after that. Yeah. And then you have Mercy Kill, which is set 30 years after. Right. Yeah. So there's a bunch. And as he kind of got at, they cover quite a, you know, quite a period of time with Mercy Kill being basically right up at the very end. So, um, and what's interesting too, is just the amount of, I mean, it's it's not Thrawn level in that, you know, it sets up a lot of what's to come, but X-Wing really does bring in a lot of characters that are, like, a big part of Legends moving forward. Um, obviously, Corrin and, you know, whoever else. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I guess we should cover the book briefly for those who haven't read it. Yeah, so we're still kind of playing with the overall format for the show. Uh, last time we did kind of... Uh a breakdown of all the major characters and then kind of went through the book uh, almost not quite chapter by chapter, but section by section. Mm -hmm. That was the overall format. We're going to try to do it a little bit different today. Uh, Go over the major points of the book first and then kind of go off in whatever direction the discussion leads uh, with different parts of the book, just to kind of see how it goes each way. If you guys have any feedback on that, Mm -hmm. feel free to let us know as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, so the book starts off with a discussion of Wedge trying to reform Rogue Squadron and recruiting new pilots. Uh, I guess the, the main character of the book would be Corrin, mm. uh, although it's from a bunch of different perspectives. So there's chapters that cover different characters, but uh, Corrin Horn, who is a future Jedi Master and one of the new pilots of Rogue Squadron, is uh, is uh, gets most of the focus here. Yeah, I'd, I'd say for the non-imperial sections he's probably like 75 percent or maybe even yeah. more we do get a, get a little bit chapters. of wedge yeah. yeah but if corn's there corn is typically um he's typically the one we're seeing the world through and he's an interesting character so he he comes from corsac or the corellian security force um and yeah now he's he's basically a hotshot pilot the book starts off with him uh, running this simula- simulator called the Redemption Scenario, which, coolly enough, is based on an actual level from the old Star Wars X-Wing game. And the whole book kind of takes on a sort of Top Gun in space. Um, and, I mean, everyone who's read it kind of makes that connection because you're dealing with squad dynamics, you're dealing with the um, factional dynamics, so you've got the other military leaders who you're always kind of jostling up against. And then, of course, you have... Um, a pretty clear-cut bad enemy in the Empire, and I guess ultimately Izani Isard. Yeah, so uh, I guess I should also say, if it wasn't already obvious for anyone who is just reading through the series for the first time, uh, we are going to be talking about some points of it that uh, are more or cover plot elements from the later books as well in the series. So if you're concerned about character spoilers, mm-hmm. then... Uh, you may want to wait until we've covered the whole series or finished Star Wars. First four months, listening. at least. Because <laughs> yeah. there are some... There's, I guess, one spoiler that's... I mean, the book's from 96. You should have read it by now. But Well, the, people are very concerned about Game of Thrones spoilers. And that's true. First, you know, 
probably before Rogue Squadron. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think so. But yeah, so there's a there's a big discussion of the the sim scores being one of the bases for uh, how they're picking the pilots, but they're also trying to form Rogue Squadron as a symbol because it was uh, the pilots were involved in uh, Battle of Yavin, Battle of Hoth, Battle of Endor, basically all the major cinematic battles we got from the Rebellion era, and Wedge is in charge of the squad now. And aside from just the military implications of having a really well-trained squadron, they're trying to build up this symbol that has a bunch of elements from the Alliance all put into one. Uh, so you end up with uh, trying to get a as diverse set of interests as possible. So you have two Corellians, two Typharans, which is a planet that produces Bacta, and they have representatives from each of the major Bacta-producing companies, which becomes... Very important. Don't worry. We've got back to politics coming. (laughs) Oh, if you are concerned about healthcare policy, this is the Star Wars (laughs) book for you. (laughs) But uh, representing Zaltan and Zuckra corporations, I have both of them spelled with a Z as an X and Zuckra. But that's Jace Brewer and Aristi Dlarit. They're both kind of nasty individuals. Well, they're, uh, they're just not super pleasant. Yeah, Jace is more likable, I think. But Jace well, is just Corrin if the book wasn't about him. Exactly. Yeah. And even Corrin seems kind of self-aware about that at some times, but mm-hmm. his way to justify the fact that he is uh, kind of a raging asshole for the first half of the book <laughs> and a huge narcissist was that at least he's not Jace. Yeah. Which, if your justification for you not being an asshole is like, at least I'm not this other person. It. Yeah, Jace yeah. isn't even, like, we, you hear more about how Jace is, like, unpleasant than you actually see Jace doing, like, nasty stuff. And on one occasion, well, I, I guess we'll get there, but on one occasion, he actually seems to be a pretty okay guy. Yeah, he's he's full of himself, but he's not really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not malicious. Yeah. He's kind of like an X-Wing version of Raynar Thal. Is yeah, what it's, it came that's across not a bad. It's not a bad example, actually. Which but, that's a reference we'll get to. Hopefully, <laughs> in never. Like two years, <laughs> probably quite significantly longer. We've got nineteen Jedi Order books, new Jedi Order books to go through. Yeah. That's well, like... we'll probably start grouping some stuff together. You'd think, Corey, or no? Okay, <laughs> purists. Well, no, we're, we're doing we... an episode for uh, each of the young Jedi Knights books too, right? Oh yeah, and Junior Jedi Knights. It's going to be... Oh, strap yourselves in, guys. This is going to be great. Uh, But yeah, so they have a bunch of these different interests represented in the squadron, which is kind of interesting because you have the Corellians. You have two Corellians, including Wedge and Corrin, who are... There's a lot of Corellian representation within the Alliance, even though at this point the Corellians are still part of the Empire, and then they become independent. Mm -hmm. So... They're not really part of the New Republic until uh, 12 ABY, I think, 11 or 12. Yeah. And they're used as this symbol here. There's also a Corellian representative on the Provisional Council. Uh, you have the two Typharans, even though Typhara is be- is uh, trying to stay neutral. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to include Arisi and Dror. Uh, Dror. Mm-hmm. Chase. Find his names there, but they're trying to can use that to kind of convince the Typharan Bacta companies to join support the New Republic. 
Then you have a Rodian, uh, Shistavinian, which is basically a wolf person. Uh, <laughs> Very political, person. politically correct. They call him Wolf Man every like time in the book, and I want to see what a wolf woman looks like personally. Was the that guy in the Clone Wars cartoon? Was he a Shistavinian? Um, I don't remember to be honest. Anyways, there's also a Twi'lek, a Gon, a Bothan, uh, some a uh, refugee from Kessel, mm-hmm. and someone from Bespin. Right. Uh, the Gond is basically. You were very passionate about this. I, I feel like yeah, Oral's the Oral. He's the dude. Uh, first of all, he's super polite. Um, he's just a real sweet fella. Uh, he's a pretty good pilot too because he he usually flies as Corin's wing. Um, he keeps up with him all the time. And later on, uh, Corin's uh, what what do they call the the smaller parts of a squad again? Flight is uh, it? Flight. Yes. Yeah. So Corin's flight it gets doesn't get cut in half and it's just Corin and Oral. And, yeah, because uh, Lujane died. Lujane yeah, was Jane, part of yeah. his flight. She dies, and then and uh, he, the Rodian. Oh yeah, they die as well. Right. Well, I I think during that battle they get evac and then die. But anyways, uh, the flight just ends up being cut down to Core and Oral, and right. Oral just is the best. Yeah, and he. Well, we'll discuss more when we talk about how the book treats <laughs> treats women, which is, well, it's a 1996 Star Wars book, so as you'd expect. But uh, Oral is the ultimate wingman, not only from a starfighter perspective, but basically near the end of the book, and I know I'm jumping a lot, um, Mirax, uh, Corrin's future wife, um, is on base with them, and Oral has been injured. He gets He literally loses an arm for the boys. And girls, other I don't remember if they're girls on the squad at the same time, but he loses an arm and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna be in the back to tank tonight or in the uh, in the infirmary tonight. So if you want a uh, spare bed, there's one right next to Corin." And Merrick's is like, "Sure." And that setup, which could have something that could have been a very friendly night between the two, but yeah. So Eckhart thinks this is Oral being a real wingman, but I have an alternative interpretation. I don't know if, which is correct, <laughs> but. He could have said something like, hey, you could stay in my bed tonight. And Mirex just assumes that he means the bunk in the room with Corin, right. But he could have been talking about his back to tank. Right. So that's true. I don't want to jump to assumption. That's true. But I mean, can't Gan not even take off their breathing apparatus? So won't that, that would be, I don't know. There's some difficulty there. Well, I just... Anyway, let's. We should probably get back to the state of the galaxy. <laughs> We've been off about. And um, anyway, so we're seven ABY. I think they say it's just it's just over two years, right? So it's early seven ABY, or it's like two and a half years from uh, Battle of Endor. Yeah. So uh, three out of ten. The Trish worlds. Of Akura was oh, right before. Uh, oh yeah, you can. No, go ahead. That's helpful context as well. Yeah, just to sort of set up the comparison to our last book here, that was about two and a half, three years earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the New Republic is making a lot of progress. You were just about to go into that. so Yeah, so they actually get pretty specific into the world building. They say that three out of ten worlds are an open rebellion. Um, some of them have, you know, ousted the Empire, others not quite. Um, two out of ten worlds are supportive. 
and then five out of ten planets are against the New Republic. The problem is the Empire is really fractured at this point um, because Palpatine really has a lot of sector governors and um, other really powerful individuals controlling large swaths of the galaxy. So this is where all the warlords come from. So the fact that the Empire is not unified, even though the New Republic only has a relatively small military, they're one of the most powerful in the galaxy. Um, because it's, you're not just fighting the Empire, really. They're fighting, for example, uh, Isard's Empire in these books, and she claims legitimacy largely because of kind of the line of secession and who she killed and the fact that she holds Coruscant. But then there's also Zinj flying around uh, with a Super Star Destroyer. There's a bunch of other warlords. Um, so that's what's keeping them basically... At one point, I think Wedge even says, if there weren't warlords, we'd be pushed as far away from the core as possible. But because they're so distracted with infighting, they can operate pretty freely. Yeah, and this is a, a lot of the first references to some of those major characters. Like, I think this would be the first place where Zinj yeah, I was, was introduced, thinking... just kind of as a background name that gets mentioned, but he becomes very important later on, obviously. Yeah, I was trying to remember whether Zinj is mentioned at all in Thrawn, um, just like as a bit of world building, but I don't think so. I don't think so, because like Makati got mentioned with that. Yeah. Uh, and like warlords were kind of thrown around by the Thrawn trilogy, but I don't think it was. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Zinj was named yet. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're correct. But uh, yeah, so the Thrawn trilogy, while it was set about four or two years after this, hmm. was written much earlier. Yeah. So it kind of had the first say in setting up a lot of what became fleshed out by a lot of these books that we're talking about now. So the truces at Bakura of the world and the X-Wing rogue squadrons of the world. Mm -hmm. But uh, Oh, actually, somebody, somebody had a good point in the chat. Um, Courtship of Princess Leia actually comes first. Um, I didn't realize that book was published in 94, which is really odd because I guess Zinj is introduced as he's killed and then the later books yeah. fill in backstory. That's super weird. I didn't realize that. Yeah, for some reason I thought that was published after a lot of the so X-Men stuff. So did I, stuff, yeah. But... Huh. But there you go. Well, uh, uh, we learned something today. Thank you, chat. That's not uh, that's not too rare with Star Wars stuff. Like, no. Little did we know Mara Jade was in uh, was in the movies. Yeah. Um, there's lots of little fun details like that. It makes the universe very small. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Laren Crefay, the uh, Bothan Admiral who plans the ill-fated attack on Borlaeus, the mm -hmm. first ill-fated attack on Borlaeus in this book, mm -hmm. uh, where the the New Republic or the Rebels, whichever you prefer to call them at yeah. this point, uh, is going to be attempting to use Borlaeus as a way to get into uh, into the core, and specifically Coruscant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of the weird things that I that I noticed was that. They mentioned Borlaeus and that area as being a good jumping off place to get to the corporate sector mm -hmm. and how you get there from the core. It doesn't really make sense. Important. But like Borlaeus is up mm -hmm. this way. Yeah. This will be reversed for you guys. Borlaeus is up this way. And the then the corporate sector is the east. opposite side as yeah. north as possible. And yeah. they say to the corporate sector and beyond. Yeah. There's very little beyond the corporate sector. Yeah. But... I feel like it was just like, that's just a word they had from yeah. the Han Solo stuff. So it was like, okay. Another throwaway mention. That exactly. Just... And then at some point, some idiot, I'm joking, but somebody was like, well, let's actually figure out how this stuff works. And, you know, sometimes little lines like that 
like the corporate sector being a thing that existed, you know, doesn't really work for a specific sentence in a specific book. We get that mm-hmm. with the Clone Wars a lot. Like at one point in the Clone in this book, uh, it talks about Corrin's grandfather being involved in the in the Clone Wars, and I forget. I think he's talking to Mirax, and Mirax assumes based on that line alone that that means that he was a Jedi. Um, which kind of suggests at one point the idea was that the Clone Wars had Jedi um, either as the good guys or the bad guys fighting. Um, so a lot of the like a lot of the Bantam era stuff, especially early '90s, and we we'll see this a lot when we read um, the Jedi Academy trilogy, gets pretty yeah. broken um, with later lore. But that's okay. Yeah, Corrin's uh, family is. His family history is kind of... Do you want to go into that now? Do you want to leave that for... Um, yeah, go ahead. So, it could be an I-Jedi discussion, but... Uh... Yeah, but I mean, it is... Well, there's allusions to Corrin's powers in this book. Yeah, so uh, Corrin, our good friend and main character here, his grandfather... So, he thinks he's a horn. He technically is a horn, mm. but uh, his is grandfather was... Nisha Halcyon. <laughs> His grandfather was Nisha Halcyon, who was a Corellian Jedi, which is, has its own little foibles compared to the rest of the Jedi Order. They're kind so of an independent thing. But uh, you get a special coin. Yeah, special <laughs> coin, which you can give to all your friends when you're promoted to master. You can take your family picture and then hang your coin from the fridge. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Corrin's biological grandfather was a Jedi who was killed during uh, either the Clone Wars or Order 66, I forget. I think it's the Clone Wars. Doesn't he get killed by a dark Jedi? I forget. It's been a while since I've looked into Nisha's backstory. but uh, That's bizarre that you don't know this all off the top of your head. I'm sorry. I'm a fraud. (laughs) I have to... So when I make my videos, I actually do this thing where I have to like go back to books and look in them again for the information rather than wow. just spewing it out. <clears throat> it's yeah, that's disappointing. But anyways, Nisha dies and his wife marries uh, one of his best friends, Rostic Horn, which is uh, like, it gets kind of weird yeah. because uh, Nisha and his wife had had a son, which is uh, Hal Horn or Hal or, Hal Halcyon. It was Valen Halcyon mm-hmm. who became Valen Horn, and then everyone calls him Hal Horn. So he took his adopted name, his adopted father's name, and then he got married to another Horn. So he married his adoptive cousin, from what I can understand, unless the name Horn is just so common, like the name Antilles. Uh, Antilles or Solo apparently yeah. becomes because if you have these two Corellians, why not name everyone on the planet after them? Because again, everyone in Star Wars is related, so why am I mm-hmm. surprised that they're marrying their cousin? Right. Uh, and then that is how Corn is born. So he does have these Force powers that he doesn't uh, but, really know about. But think about his families; they can't use telekinesis. For right. Him, only so the only the sad. male children, though, because Valen, his son, can't use telekinesis. But his daughter, what's his daughter's name again? Um, uh anyway <laughs> she can so it's like it's a it's a men in the family thing i don't know like that would be that's like one of the coolest powers too like being able to move stuff it's like the basis for all powers it's yeah to... jicella yeah um like can you imagine if corin was uh 
the one that Yoda and Obi Wan decide was their last hope, and then Corn <laughs> ends up on Dagobah. <laughs> or X Wings crash. Dude, he yeah. never makes it to Dagobah because he gets killed by the Wampa. <laughs> <laughs> He's so useless. Or can you imagine if 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 he was in Anakin's position, he, ne- he never would have been able to woo Padme with um getting that peach or whatever it was on the end of his uh on the end of his fork. <laughs> <laughs> that's some weird innuendo there that is yeah that was it basically any movie moment can happen with corn yeah there should just be a re-edited version of all the movies like he, can, he can't even use lightsaber throw he shouldn't be able to use oh, force choke um force push it's just it's like he can think inwardly i i guess <laughs> he can predict stuff i guess he can like how does how does he become a Jedi Master? How does this dude not die? <laughs> like, well, we already know that Tion becomes a Jedi Master and just Streen, to make her, yeah. So, Tion and Streen are basically not it. It's happened so they don't get their feelings hurt. Basically, <laughs> it's like Cam's a Jedi <laughs> Master. <laughs> oh yeah, he he won't be able to help aim the torpedo, nudge it with the Force, it doesn't blow up the Death Star. Um, but but like. What? How does? How is this a thing that he can't do? Like he yeah. can manipulate the force in other ways, but when he tries to do that, midichlorian is just like no. I will you. say that's like such a stupid distinction that never would have happened. Like say what you will about Legends versus the new canon, at least they've kind of abandoned the Dragon Ball Z style um, that the force was sometimes traded. Yeah, um, I thought the scene recording when Super Saiyan Four was a little <laughs> premature in this book. <laughs> Yeah, it was really weird that he grew a tail and went full <laughs> golden ape afterwards. Yikes. <laughs> um, we, we were on world building. How did we get here? <laughs> how do we ever get anywhere? Yeah. Uh, uh, so we should talk about how they totally dismissed the Psy Ruby threat almost totally. Right. <laughs> the Psy Ruby are killed off screen, even though Last... it's built up as being an existential threat to the galaxy. We were talking last episode about how uh, how they were presented as that big threat, and then you never see them again uh, until these on Vong War, where they're not a threat. They're just mentioned as part of this mm. uh, galactic war where everyone's getting messed up and everyone makes a cameo appearance. Yeah, but the greatest hits the, of legends. One of the points that you did bring up before we started recording last time, and then we briefly mentioned in the last episode, was that one of the X-Wing books... Uh, which turned out to be Rogue Squadron uh, yeah. on page 292, I believe. Wow, Corey. Uh, they mention, sent, or they use it as kind of like a disciplinary threat Yeah, that they'd get sent off to uh, attack Sea Ruby Stronghold. So right. there are still Sea Ruby Strongholds going on two years later. It's just this is all mm-hmm. super off screen in Star Wars. So there yeah. was a war going on with that. I was actually surprised reading it directly afterwards how many references there are. Like, um, it talks about Wedge having some of the battle droids painted on his ship. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it talks about how... I think there's more, but but yeah. I think they mentioned it with like Tycho being there. Yeah, because they're like, Tycho, he fought in Endor, Hoth, and um, yeah, the battle for Bakura. So. Speaking but of... our boy Tycho. Yeah. Are we going to go? No, go ahead. I was just going to say Tycho, who's this famous uh, decorated rebel pilot, he's captured at some point before. And right. although he's allowed to be the uh, executive executive officer for Rogue Squadron mm-hmm. based on Wedge's request, uh, he's under full security detail all the time. 
no access to weapons whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And even though he gets, uh, like, he's helping command battles, but all of his orders are getting relayed through other people whenever yeah. possible. And uh, they're very concerned that Tycho is going to be acting as a spy for the Empire because of his escape from Imperial captivity. Mm-hmm. But uh, little do they know there's an actual spy within Rogue Squadron. Which we'll find out. Is that book four we find that out? I'm not sure when we find it out. Uh, like I, For some reason, I just assumed that it was already a known thing earlier on because i guess i i knew about it before yeah I ever there's not the even books. any hints so in this one really that's kind of one thing i actually like about Tycho's predicament is um like the brainwashing is meant to be like so complete that they basically like snap their fingers and you like turn imperial so like despite the fact that like by all you know, he Tycho does seem to be a real stand-up guy. He puts his life on the line several times. He like when you read the first book, the potential of him being an Imperial spy, like unknowingly, is still there, just because the brainwashing is so nefarious. Well, my favorite thing about the whole uh, the whole plot with there being a spy of some kind, whether it's Tycho or who it actually is, uh, do we do want to yeah. give that big reveal right now and just say it? Sure. It is. Everyone sit down for this. It's a Reese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but there's this big concern over Tycho, and they're always so concerned about security, which they have, like they should be. It's the military. Yeah. But uh, they have this uh, this admin droid named Mtree, mm-hmm. which this at multiple at multiple points during the book. He just starts acting super strange. Like the first thing chronologically that happens, I think, would have been when he's on a ship with Tycho and Tycho tells him to shut up three times. Yeah. And he reveals like this extra button and extra functions that are like super sketchy. And then Corin is asking for uh, a part for his X-Wing to be uh, requisitioned. He tells him like scramble it up. And yeah. And it's like, okay, this is clearly an issue. Everyone finds out independently, but no one gives a fuck. Like, yeah, it was. I didn't understand. <laughs> That's easily. He's like literally. They're like the heart of many of their operations. He knows like about Borlias. He knows everything. They're like, yeah. Sometimes he turns into a junk trader. <laughs> yeah. Why should we care? For some kind of smuggling or something. He or knows, he knows part of a list of operations. Yeah. He knows everything about everything we do. He knows he's everyone. For... Like, yeah. yeah, he's cleared for more information than Wedge half the time. And he's but... trading as well as like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't hold that against him. What's the backstory that he was programmed on, on Hoth or something by a pilot or something? I don't... I forget. Basically, yeah, but it's pretty... Yeah, the scrounging, was... it's... it's... I mean, let's let's be oh. honest. This book, it's it's Top Gun. It's not, you know, it's not like an intellectual thriller. Although it's <laughs> it's not written poorly, um, but it's written very simply, and all most of the intrigue is about, um, you know, how the squadron works and how the different, like, how the different starfighter squadrons work together, um, and some interpersonal stuff. 
And there is some good, good world building. I'm not trying to rip on things, but yeah, there are some... The plot, <laughs> the, the main story really dictates most of the details. Yeah. <laughs> There's clearly been a leak. <laughs> yeah. Could it be this droid that acts really? No. <laughs> this droid literally tried to buy and sell our X-Wings. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I guess, where are we now? We talked about the hollow sim battle, right? Um, we talked about the squad makeup. Oh, one thing that really bugged me. Why the hell does Wedge get credit for two Death Stars? Because he was there. But he didn't do anything, really. That's not true. He did things. He acted as an extra shield for Luke, according to him. Okay, that, that part is absolutely bizarre. Because that, like, presupposes that they had some knowledge that Luke was this incredible fighter before the battle. When, like, yeah, like he's the... literally some friggin' swamp kid who's, like, talking about shooting rats with a BB gun or uh, shooting rats, <laughs> shooting rats from <laughs> the, the back of a station, we- a station wagon. And they're like, yeah, um, <laughs> Biggs and I knew that we were just extra shields for Luke. Like, okay, maybe when the battle started and he's, like, flying really well. Like, what's the first thing Luke does in the Battle of Yavin? He does a a strafing run on the Death Star's surface with his laser cannons and almost blows up his (laughs) X-Wing. This is like the the hero savant who's leading the rebellion and they're, like, apparently new it the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, the lead-up to the battle wasn't, like, how are we going to get Luke in position to take this shot? It was... We're all going to try, and... Yeah, like, what about Red Leader? Like, Red Leader got there. He just... He just screwed it up. (laughs) Well, I don't know if he screwed it up. Well, he missed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Let's not be too hard on Red Leader either. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, I don't know, that's just... That that part just struck me as being really weird. And I don't know, I wouldn't give Wedge credit for both Death Stars. I think you get credit for things you kill. The second Death Star, Yes. He could get credit for that. But the first one, I don't know about that one, Chief. Like, does Tycho have a Death gets Star? the Death Star, then Tycho also gets a Death Star, and Corrin gets to paint a Lancer on his X-Wing. Yes. That's my call right there. But, but, like, then shouldn't everybody at the battle get to paint a Lancer on their X-Wing? Maybe I'm just, uh... Because Wedge was gone. Like, let's not, let's not forget that Wedge literally peaced out Luke's like, get out of here, Wedge. Wedge's like, okay. <laughs> Nothing you can do. I guess you're right. <laughs> just saying. I don't have a vendetta. I love Wedge. I'm just saying. Yeah, he's, uh... Because, like, Han was out there for both Death Star runs. Or not Han. Yeah, Han did the Falcon. more at the end, then. Yeah. But I don't think Han's going to paint. And I forgot, I forgot Han wasn't in space, to be honest, as well. Oops. Han wasn't in space. Yeah, he was on. He was the on Endor. Remember? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant in uh, in Episode Four, like <laughs> he oh, was yeah. walking on the Death <laughs> Yeah, Han was shooting with a blaster from uh, <laughs> from the he planet was of Yavin. The of the <laughs> he did that good a shot. Yeah. It's kind of it, this book is kind of weird on that note because it is like you know not centered around our main trilogy heroes. We get Leia in the next book. I was thinking she was in this one, but she's not. We get Leia in the next book. Um, there's a lot of Akbar, um, but there's no Luke. Luke gets some references, but he's not in it whatsoever. Same with Han. Akbar's catchphrase in this book is basically just, can we not? <laughs> yeah. 
just everyone else is fighting. Wedge and Horton Som, every scene they have together, it's like just yeah. arguing the whole time about everything. Som's All Akbar has to say is, yeah. "Can we not?" Yeah, yeah. Som's a real diva. I, I, I do like. I like the idea of you know the Y. Let's be honest, Y wings are kind of lame compared to X wings. So I do like the idea yeah. of the, the Y wing um, commander like being kind of a like a tryhard, but. Well, he's it does justify his position pretty well, where it's like you have this crack group of hotshot pilots that can yeah. use yeah. their own skills, and it's the right call for them. But, but I have basically this class of kindergartners who I need to no, yeah, listen right. to me absolutely, or else we're all going to die and nothing will ever get done. Yeah, but I do, uh, I do, I do like that. That is pretty cool. How like. Especially Corrin and like Jace can like basically live off their um you know, their pure talent alone. But like the Y Wings need to be absolutely willing to follow uh I think they even they doesn't Sam even talk about like like doesn't he tell Wedge he needs to be harsher on rogues on the rogues at one point? Yeah. Because you do get like the first battle of Borlias where um Corrin directly, you know, goes against orders and he saves them all in the end but like you can't get away with that if you're some y-wing pilot who's like probably an okay pilot but not like like jesus in an x-wing yeah and Sam was gonna try to get uh get corin basically court-martialed but then drops it yeah and his main concern was just getting wedged to institute some kind of discipline which it does come off as pretty petty yeah in a lot of it but the reason that he originally complained was like the rogues technician had during the battle simulators messed with the programming so that when yeah. any of the other pilots got killed by a rogue squadron member, the Big rogue squadron crash, quest yeah. would crest, not quest, would quest. show up on <laughs> on their screen in some way, which is a it's a pretty big dick move. Yeah. It's like X Wing like, Zoro people. Like I'm flying here, like I'm flying. <laughs> that was my sense. Those are my sensors, as what they'd call it. Um, now I've got to rely on visual scanning. In other words, looking at stuff. <laughs> Pick up your visual scanning. Like, doesn't that just mean look at stuff? Well, is that the? That's that's just from. From a new hope, but. Well, I, I, every time I read any of the X Wing books or like any books with a lot of fighter combat. I just think of the the scanner images from A New Hope, uh, where I th- it might be Invaders as well as Luke's, but you, it's just like 1994, mm-hmm. worse than 1994 video game yeah. graphics. Yeah, totally. And it's like, how, how does anyone get anything done with this? This well, is horrible. This book kind of addresses that because... So I, I did a whole bunch of references to how this book really downplays space combat if you're like one of those people that want star wars ships to be the most powerful thing ever this book is absolutely going to piss you off because yeah. like it's very specific about ranges and at one point like here let's see um uh, two clicks for yeah so two clicks is outside the range of an x-wing um most of fighting is done much much closer because i think they talk about how at um the battle of yavin they have their x-wing lasers zeroed at two to uh to one kilometer and that's supposed to be way too far good for taking out like gun emplacements but way too far for uh fighting battles um and then yeah at one point it says kilojoules of energy 
is the output of a laser. And I just have to assume that that's a mistake because that makes literally no sense. That's like a few calories. <laughs> like, yeah. Through chicken wing. <laughs> um, yeah. But so, there's also uh, the earliest, or I guess the main capital ship combat you actually see. Because even at the Battle of Borlaeus, there's capital ships there, yeah. but they're mostly bombarding the shield. Yeah. Uh, so earlier on in the book, Rogue Squadron gets pulled out of hyperspace by the Black Asp, mm -hmm. uh, which will become important and Karuska Rainbow later. Mm -hmm. uh, but it covers a fight between Rogue Squadron, which is just 12 X-Wings, against uh, the TIE Interceptors as well as the Black Asp itself, yeah. which is a 600-meter-long Immobilizer 418 cruiser. And uh, in one pass, the Rogues and their proton torpedoes take down the shields in the area where they're attacking and take out two turbo laser or two laser cannon placements. So they're really quite effective. Like immobilizers aren't the big bads of the Imperial fleet. No. They're not super good for combat. And I, but it's still, they're able to get a lot done with individual squadrons of that kind of uh, felt fighters. right to me. I don't know why it's just like, I do kind of imagine the immobilizer is something that like you absolutely have to protect because most of the power generation is going to like the gravity well generators. Yeah. Um, but when you take that with the later uh, destruction of the, was the Lancer called Ravager? Uh, I think so. So they destroy that in one pass of torpedoes. Like right. they do highlight the fact that it's going in a very specific spot mm -hmm. and they're doing very risky stuff to get to it, yeah. but it's going from full shields to cut in cut half in from half, yeah. this one group of proton torpedoes. Mm -hmm. And it would only be about, uh, they were too short because there were two that still tried to kill Corrin afterwards. Too. Oh yeah. Right. Cause they lock on him. Yeah, can we also mention the fact that Corrin got got shot by an ion cannon? What a loser! <laughs> like, They're apparently very deadly. Yeah, because doesn't I th I'm pretty sure Mara gets hit by an ion cannon. I think Jaina does too at one point. I th I'm pretty sure Mara gets hit by an ion cannon, but uh, like they're always mm. described as being very inaccurate. Um, so for him just being like flying through space and getting yeeted by an ion cannon especially like when he's about, when they're about to jump to hyperspace i just find really funny yeah they uh but then the fact that he's basically shut down and then kills two tie interceptors i guess tycho's keeping him busy too but yeah you'd think the tie in interceptors would be smart enough to at least go for him first you'd think but so but you'd they're probably wrong. assuming that tycho has uh weapons which he doesn't because no one trusts him mm -hmm. but he's still going to be much harder to take down and the x-wing is still a threat it just yeah these are these are not their best and brightest no not not at all the empire is not sending their best and brightest <laughs> no they're not some some bad hombres flying those squints <laughs> we want to talk about nicknames um fighter nicknames okay uh they're horrible yeah <laughs> next up yeah okay we'll leave it at that well so there's eyeballs for TIE fighters, and it makes sense. It's, you know, a big thing in this, the middle. Dupes for, uh, well, there's a lot of names for the uh, TIE bombers. I don't remember if we get any others in this book, but I think they call them, they basically, you don't want to fly a TIE bomber. Like, you really, really don't. They're pretty shit. Um, 
So I think they they have various names about them being sitting ducks and stuff. Um, and the, but dupes due to the two, you know, not just the one uh, cockpit pod, but also the second one. Is that for weapons only or a, the bomber? I don't remember. And then there's I've always squints. assumed it's just the whole payload gets yeah, kept in the other. I, I think you're right. And then there's squints. <clears throat> there's also brights, which they use for any other kind of advanced model. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure if that would apply to like any other even non-tie, or if it's hmm. just for things like uh, tie defenders or whatever. Which those are bad. Uh, they bring it up later in a briefing and. Some of the higher command don't really have, or I think it's Laren Crefe again, mm-hmm. who doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. So it seems like it's just either X-wing pilot lingo, because even Horton yeah. Somm doesn't love it, but that could be because he's more of a he's kind traditionalist. Of a stickler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the I do like the how bad command kind of is. Like the first battle of Borlias is kind of like a gigantic boondoggle. Like, it's really bad intel, and I put that on, well, part of that's Som, and then he's, like, not not apologetic at all, really, afterwards, and, like, what, did they lose two pilots there, or one, but... Uh... I think they lose one. They, they lose? Uh, maybe not. They lose the Rodian, and then there's two or three who lose their X-Wings, they do evac. Right, like, that's where Oral So that's how there. they end up in, like, half, yeah. Aura yeah, loses yeah. his arm. Uh, What's his name? Andorni dies. Yeah. Uh, Navarro Ren, Arisi, and Shield lose their X-Wing? Yeah, because Shield, yeah, because then they do the little, for the second battle, they do this thing where they choose who gets to fight. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that Nawara is like a pretty important character in Fate of the Jedi when he's Luke Skywalker's lawyer? Yeah, he comes up, him and, uh, I don't think his wife ever gets mentioned, or I guess she does come up a little bit in Fate of the Jedi. Yeah, but, she's in, yeah, uh, she's not a major character, but she's in it. It was a pretty big callback to have Noir show up again in Fate yeah. of the Jedi, but that's also a lot of authors bringing in yeah. their or their series stuff, because that was, that was, uh, Aaron Austin that wrote yeah. the other one, and, and he was the he other was author who wrote yeah. the, uh, X-Wing series alongside Michael Stackpole. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also why you have Karen Travis's books uh, always having Mandalorians from like and Barton Jussick showing up in Fate of the Jedi mm-hmm. or that would be Legacy of the Force. Yeah. But or Killix uh, showing up in White Denning Rights. Yeah. Killix or yeah, it's just it's yeah. We'll talk we'll talk about that soon. Soon in three years, but yeah. yeah, they're talking about in the chat, uh, Bothans being kind of shit in a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, Larry Crefay, obviously kind of incompetent. Uh, I assume Trace Crefay is like his cousin or something. Yeah. I don't I, know. I, I, I feel like relation. it talks about that in... Yeah, maybe, maybe it doesn't... Because I, th- I think he talked about his family in New Jedi Order, but yeah, he's yeah. good. Um, Trace Crefay is good. Yeah. Uh, Borsk Falia is horrible for yeah he has like one moment where he's not insufferable but the thing is with all this complaining about boffins in this book and their bad intel there is a member of the squad who is boffin right i don't know how much he's actually uh 
around for these conversations or if they're just like trash talking the boss blatantly racist <laughs> yeah it, it gets pretty bad at points it's like yeah they, they're acting on bad intel and that admiral's kind of a dick or yeah uh laren was a general mm-hmm. uh it's kind of a dick but yeah they were planning this whole assault on borlaeus where they were using uh, a bulk cruiser, which I think was a Neutron Star class, it's been reckoned as. Uh, I think so, because uh, it just calls Mon. it bulk cruiser. Although, yeah. doesn't one of them have like a kind of Mon Cala esque name? Yeah, that was the bulk cruiser, Mon. Yeah. Something. Yeah, I think aren't there two uh, bulk cruisers, like a CR ninety and. I don't remember. Yeah, and there was the Eviscerate. Well, Emancipator. Emancipator, which shows up. I have a whole thing. So the Emancipator shows up later in Dark Empire. And gets eaten by a world devastator. So it has big things in its future. Yeah, because it's like the flagship of, I think, the fleet that attacks Imperial Center. Uh, Mon Valley, I think. Yeah. Vale. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So kind of a, a fun... The, the Bothans are an, are an interesting species. I do like in the the New Jedi Order when they basically declare like full genocide with like A no cry. yeah no rules against the Vong. That was pretty cool. Mm. Then that keeps going on forever, so they have to make sure the Bothans aren't allowed anywhere near the Vong. <laughs> like they're trying to terraform planets, go away. You just see <laughs> once I got a vibro blade. Of. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But the uh, Y-Wing run, uh, did you have anything specific you wanted to talk about with the Y-Wing run? Oh, um, just during the, I guess that's the first Battle of Borlias. I just really like that scene where, like, they're, like, in the middle of battle and the Y-Wings just, like, come through and just, like, save the day. Um, it just, it's a very, usually, I don't know about you, but usually I've got trouble, uh, like, actually imagining the space battles. I kind of just, I kind of sometimes just read them and, just like, okay, there's fighting going on. I don't need to know the specifics. There's lots of looping and dodging and stuff and jinking. Um, but with the Y-Wing scene, it's like kind of like the cavalry going through the battle. You just imagine like the turrets on the top of the Y-Wings just like, you know, crushing fighters. I just thought it was a really cool scene. Yeah, I I had a, I have an okay time usually with like uh, the fighter battles when it's showing from someone's specific mm-hmm. perspective and just what they're doing. But when it's the anything that's broader than that, it yeah. usually is a bit more difficult to totally. picture. Uh, like specific events, like when it was the ball cruiser crashing, that was fine. But then when they're talking about the evacuation specifically, mm. when Tycho is flying around the uh, evac shuttle thing, that was a bit hard to picture because it's like Corrin flew by and marked the place where uh, Oral was. Like, yeah. did he just sit there did he repulse his way over there yeah. did he fly past and be like hey you're over here but it was <laughs> kind of did he cut off oral's other arm and <laughs> wave it with his yeah <laughs> i do like how the uh the x-wings are basically capable of like anything in this like anytime something needs to be done it's like oh yeah the droid can do it it's like oh yeah hyperspace is taking a while so i had the droid microwave me a hot pocket well, it's like <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's just like anything that uh, needs to be done, you just have the droids do it. It works, but I don't know. It, it's kind of cool, too. Yeah. It, something that always bothers me with like the the uh, R2 units or any astromech mm-hmm. is like everyone complains about how loud they squeal, but then you design them that way. I, I get the whole Star Wars thing where it's like, yeah, the droids can develop their own personality, yeah. and that's just how it is. Yeah. But 
there's specific behaviors like that where it's like this was this is a universal trait of them someone clearly did this on purpose and no one has fixed that yet i do kind of like the idea of sort of i mean it doesn't really fit in the lore but i like the idea of just droids being around for so long they've just got so many like weird quirks and stuff to their programming yeah even on like a like a big level it's like oh the the big droid brain that everyone bases their new models off of was invented so long ago there's just weird little quirks into it yeah a little like whistler is like oh his his previous pilot yeah uh he got this reputation for previous pilot like how dead are those guys how did he survive or just tell the friggin' droid to shut shut up whistler shut up like i'm in the middle of battle (laughs) be quiet um because minoc seems like uh it does just as much squealing as yeah whistler does and r2 does too i mean (laughs) yeah and they they seem like they're really scared but at the same time they're giving the most sarcastic comments in the entire star wars here like they throw astromech droids throw so much shade it's great but it's they're also kind of lovable too like i don't know i i just if i had like a sick-ass droid buddy like whistler or R2, or any of the droids. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be able to let them go. I'd be like, you want to come get a beer or something? I don't know. Maybe it's well, friends, uh, Corrin's fixing the X-Wing, and he almost falls off that time. Oh, and yeah. And then Whistler catches him with the little pincer arm. It's like, yeah. damn, how strong is that thing? <laughs> what kind of weight are you hiding back there? Like, why, why, do, why do we not have you on the front lines or piloting an X-Wing or something? <laughs> They, they can do it on their own. The pilot yeah. is really unnecessary, unless it's a really good one. Well, they talk about that in various books. Uh, I did like a whole video on that. Like, why do they not have more droid-controlled fighters? And usually they talk about... I, I remember randomly... Uh, it comes up regarding the Eye of Palpatine. Because Luke knows that the the Eye is doesn't have any life forms and is piloted by an AI. So he's like, usually AI are much slower uh, and less creative and less good at even just shooting things down with lasers yeah but the the eyes got the special uh brain uh the seer what well, i don't remember what it's, it's so stupid i don't even want to but uh but yeah that one there's that, some baseline that of pilots dope. though you could replace with just the astromech and like tell the pilot any y-wing ever. eat their hot pocket yeah well i was specifically thinking about the ones that almost shot corin yeah oh, yeah where they had one job and it was to press their button when told and they they didn't yeah, and have you read the Revenge of the Sith novelization? Yeah. Because in that, they basically treat those tri-fighters, they're like, I mean, that book has some, I, I really like that book, but it does have some weird, some some oddities. It's like the droids were making calculations, like, 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 bajillion calculations a second. And it's like, well, and it's, it's like two, or two tri-droids basically kill Obi-Wan and Anakin almost. Like, why did you not have more of those? But I got a whole yeah, theory yeah. on that. Um, One of my favorite theories to come out of the uh, uh, the Vent of the Sith novelization, I can't remember if it was about Mace Windu or Kit Fist, though. It was like this whole thing about how uh, they were clearly not dead because of how they described the Anakin's uh, journey yeah. to the office. Yeah. But I, I haven't read that in so long. That was... Um, I think it was done as a joke, but... Yeah. I mean, Pablo said that that book's technically still quasi-canon. Um, so I want to go back and read and see what, what weird things are in there. Hmm. Um, but my theory is that Palpatine liked having 
organics piloting the starfighters because his eventual goal was to like like govern through the use of the force and you can't do that with droids yeah um, well battle meditation definitely wouldn't work with droids and that's yeah. a big deal for palpatine a big deal for joris sabayoff mm, super important character luke skywalker <laughs> uh trissa yeah there's another big one that yeah. she's going to be coming up in my video on saturday actually just oh. to get more plugs in there yeah uh Bastila, but I think we're getting a little bit farther off topic. Now. Well, the the Jedi, like in Legacy of the Force, they use battle meditation or the Jedi meld like every single battle, like all the time. And Jason, yeah. Jason has like super Sith advanced version where he can like battle meditate across the galaxy, pretty much. Yeah, or, like, and with like war meditation, about the Killix. Yeah, yeah. But he has a ship as well, so right. But that helps. Does the ship help him with battle meditation? It doesn't not help him. Okay, I haven't so read I, that in a while. I just remember there's a scene where it... like he turns when, when he first turns like full Sith and he takes the Kaidus name. He's like looking at a map and he's like trying to point out these battles to people. He's like he's like the fleet is going to be moving here and he's like why can't you guys see this? And he realizes yeah. that he's like developed like battle meditation on the next scale where he can like see not only like tactics but grand strategy uh, i thought that was kind of cool yeah jason basically becomes neo by the end of legacy yeah. of the force jason it, it's yeah. pretty bonkers yeah and luke still daddies him on like every occasion like luke doesn't kill jason in the end because he's like it'd be pretty shitty if i turned bad I'll let jana do it <laughs> but like <laughs> this is super inappropriate know who should do this your twin like, that'll be better for everyone jason's on the bridge of the anakin solo luke walks in there and like holds him down with the force basically like a version of your older brother like holding you down like farting in your face luke basically <laughs> does that to jason and jason's like struggling man jason's been on a five-year sojourn across the galaxy and luke's been partying with mara jade and he's still still daddy's <laughs> jason no problem. And then every time they duel, Luke kicks his ass. Like, Luke, like, rips out half of Jason's hair, like, punctures his kidney. Jason's, like, crying in the back to tank. And Luke's like, I could have killed you, but I didn't want to do it in front of Ben. <laughs> I don't I didn't want to be pissed when I did it, basically. little preview of our... Uh... Oh, I can't like, wait. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, man. I'm I mean, gonna get, I'm gonna get I love Jason, so... Me too. I, that's going to be a huge... Huge arc for us, the young Jedi Knight to Legacy of the Force thing. Dude, I would, That's what I'm really looking forward to. I'd actually to. be down. How long do you think it would take to read all of the... We can, we can skip Junior Jedi Knights. Oh, wait. Oh, Icarit and Anakin? These are big characters. Uh, and Tahiri. I think we'd have to just read them all. That's what I was thinking. And then do that as well. Like, like, how long would that take? Like, I actually have fond memories of the uh, Dark Academy. That's from Junior Jedi Knights, right? Or Young Jedi Knights. Uh, Young Jedi, Jedi Knights, Knights is like Jaina and Jason, Academy. and Junior Jedi Knights yeah. is Anakin, right? They're not long books. There's no. like eight of them for each of them, but they're they're really short, big font, so we could probably easily knock it out. We could probably do like two, one or two episodes on like the entire thing. Yeah, because I really like be... them. To be honest, they're fun. Like they're fun. Yeah, books. And, and it's they're not a, a book series where we're going to be like digging too much into every individual detail. Uh, so it's not like we're going to be missing out on time if we're talking about like broad strokes why stuff is important later but we should probably like show like when we start talking about zek people are gonna be like who the hell is zek 
well yeah you should probably know or like lobaka <laughs> or like tahiri or like anakin well not anakin but you get the idea uh anything else about corin horn here um interesting bits i got. have a section here about yikes moments uh well i guess oh, we'll get to that is later. there anything else we wanted to say about uh introduction of big EU characters we kind of talked about uh corin talked about warlord zinja bit isard a little bit as well uh, taiko's a pretty big character i mean he moves like into the i mean he's not as big as corin because like it's it's hard to you can't really over overstate how big of a character corin becomes he's like basically one of the one of the main characters throughout the njo and beyond like he's one yeah. of the jedi i would say yeah it's pretty interesting that like he has a bunch of these earlier books where you have stuff from his perspective and then in later books he's around a lot mm -hmm. uh but you're not quite getting his uh that's true yeah i jedi 2 perspective yeah that's too bad actually because he is a a fun character but eventually it's like they knew he was going to be so popular so they couldn't limit him like they did with because like taiko is more niche although taiko marrying winter is like the dumbest thing ever but um well not really but it's it's weird but um I, yeah i don't know taiko's I, I like what they did with taiko like he's still he gets he's in legacy of the force if ever there's a big space battle and everyone's like it's all hands on deck you know taiko's in a ship somewhere yeah um, he's never really gotten a huge focus no like, he kind of does with uh some of the later rogue wraith stuff but yeah he's got that bit in legacy of the force where um He's, like, technically working for the Alliance still, but, like, remember he goes to the Jedi, and they, like, pretend capture him, and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh... I guess the, uh, the Terra... Well, we get Mirax, of course. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Mirax. Um, uh, Yella, too, is, is in here. Yella. I did kind of allude to that with Black Asp and Kreska Rainbow, but we'll probably end up talking about her a little bit more yeah. uh, with the defection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judder Page, Page's Commandos. Oh yeah. Um, but he might be another one that. I guess I think Failia is in the next book. Obviously, he wasn't he was introduced in Thrawn, but I think Failia gets some action in the next one. Yeah. Uh, but I, th I think that we've covered most of the characters that. I mean, yeah, all, all the Rogue Squadron character. Here. Oh, uh, I guess Gavin sees quite a bit of Gavin Darklater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like all the. You know, the good thing with the EU is if they did need a Starfighter squadron, they would use the rogues and they would mention characters by name. Like, so, I don't know. That's kind of nice. And, like, Noara Venn being Luke's lawyer and stuff. So, like, most of these characters, I'd say Korin, uh, like Korin would be the largest. Well, Zinj would be the largest. <laughs> He's a big, wow, thick rude. fella. But uh, Corrin would be the most important. And then I'd probably... I don't know. Who'd you put after that? Maybe, like... I'd probably put Tycho, uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'd, I'd actually say Mirax. Mirax, fair enough. Yeah, because Mirax and, I guess, by extension, Booster... Yeah. Uh, well, both of them kind of grouped in together just because... Uh, well, with Corrin, the, the relationship they focus on is that uh, Booster Tarek's a smuggler, and their fathers, uh, Hal Horn and Booster Tarek, were kind of smuggler and corsac nemesis nemeses yeah. and now that's kind of projected onto their kids for about 15 minutes before they 
start flirting. And yeah. it's always like right after his scenes with the Reese, but I do kind of want to talk about that with the yikes moments instead. Yeah. It's kind of why I've been holding off. But a Wedge, bit. Is, Wedge is also a good wingman. Wedge and Oral like must have had some sort of like rom com style bet. Like who could make these two do the dirty? Because like. <laughs> Like uh, I forget when when uh, when they first meet Mirax and Corin, Wedge is like I can see you guys getting together really well, and Corin's like I don't think so, and Wedge is like No man, really well. <laughs> but aren't you guys friends? No, we're just friends. You guys could be friends. But then when uh, Mirax comes out wearing his jacket, Wedge is like Wait, what? Yeah. So I don't know if he just was oblivious to what he was doing, or if it surprised him that it was that fast. Yeah. But uh, we'll probably talk touch on that a little bit more with uh, the the yikes. Should we just go to Should we just go to yikes now? Yeah, I guess we don't so, bury the lead here. Yeah. So last book, uh, Truce of Bakura, um, we talked about how Luke is basically an incel. <laughs> well, not he's quite. more nice guy than yeah. Incel. He's he's a like, nice guy. Han's a Chad. If we're gonna use dumb internet slang, Han's a Chad because he's just with with leia he you know he says what he wants and he makes moves and luke is just like falls in love with the first girl he meets for about 35 seconds doesn't even know her. despite the fact that everything about their personalities shows like totally red flag this will not work yeah but but in this in this we get a new um it's it's we it's corn's actually kind of like a combination because he's a luke in execution but a han (laughs) in how women women feel about him yeah like it was kind of weird how a lot of the presented in the book Mm -hmm. because at the very least their first introduction is 90 percent focused on who they might be attracted to or who might be attracted to them yeah or that becomes a major part of their character arc yeah like the major part of their character arc we were thinking, I don't think there's a single, like, female character in this entire story that isn't, like, most, and like, I'm not trying to be, like, social justice warrior or anything here, but, like, almost all of these characters are defined by, like, their, whether Corrin is attracted to them or not. Well, the uh, Wedge of Security people, the thing we learn most about them is whether or not, uh, Tycho or Tycho security people, not wedges. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Tycho is interested in them romantically, right? Then right. when Kurt and Lure meets Isard, yep. half of the focus is just on she's like frighteningly uh, sexy. Yeah, it's just kind of off-putting. <laughs> yeah, and then it's the same kind of thing with uh, Arisi, where she just goes like super hard after Corn, and it's like whoa. Yeah, up the brakes there. Well, Mirax too, really. I mean. Sort of more in a more in a friendly sort of way, but even Iella, and like, can you imagine if Wedge is reading this book? This is what Corin says about Iella Wasiri. She was pretty, not as pretty as you are, and he's talking to Arisi, I'm pretty sure, but no Gamorian either. Basically saying yeah. she's not a pig. <laughs> and then with Arisi, we have the uh, this really sensual. Um, just it's really a beautiful line corn noticed that her flight suit was unzipped far enough to give him a fair view of her cleavage Hmm. yeah (laughs) and then immediate like 
already mentioned it, but like immediately after, there's two scenes like that with Arisi where she's like super hitting on him, and he's like, yeah, maybe, and she'll leave the room, and then uh, Mirax comes in, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, I saw you were with the back to Queen, yeah, and first of all, just don't be so catty, like <laughs> respect other women, Mirax. Yeah, and and I, I do get the point in the chat there that like Aristi is a spy, so she's gathering That's true. intel. But she is like trying this to, seems a lot more genuine than that. And she's also something. when Corin's not there, when Rogue Squadron isn't there, <laughs> telling like threatening Mirax to stay away from Corin and like bribing her. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that bit. That's the what one conversation between two female characters in the book and that's what it is yeah what's that the bechdel test, bechdel test. yeah does not pass no um but uh even mon moth was not in this one to give i don't think is mon moth in this one at all but i don't think so to give like that one you know usually grounded non-sexualized female presence presence yeah. But I mean, it, it it all goes back, you know, it's exactly like you'd expect with those old um, fighter pilot, or not old fighter pilot movies, just Top Gun. I just keep saying everyone's like hyper-sexualized. There's always the incestual, like, intra-squadron dating. Uh, who's the other one? Is it Lujani and someone who are... Forge? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's, uh, well, Noara and uh, Rit... Uh, which what's her name? I can't remember. I, I the can't Bespin, remember. yeah, the the one from Bespin. Doesn't she die? No, they no. get married. Like they both resign. Oh, and it's get the married, same one. Oh, okay. She, uh, she, you don't really find out anything Riz- about. Oh yeah, Rosati. Yeah, yeah, because she's not a very good pilot. I think she says as much. Yeah, I think uh, it was. Uh, was it her and Forge that were the the worst, or and or the Rodian and Forge. The Rodian. But it was some combination of them. Because Lujani is the one who gets murdered in her sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, she was a fighter. Like, but I'm pretty sure he said, like, they're ripping on her pilot skills earlier. Yeah. Because she's the one who, like, tutoring, she's tutoring Gavin, I think. Yeah. She was tutoring Gavin on uh, hyper navigation, hyperspace navigation or something, mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, she was like the the social hub of the group. Yeah, and sure I guess Lu- Lujani is not written, or Lujana, but she's not written as a like the other women. So I guess she's a she's a, she's more friendly with. I don't think she ever like comes on to Corn. No, um, she's like she like tries to get him to come to the tap calf. Which, by the way, guys, this book I'm pretty sure is the first book that we've read that actually uses tap calf in it. Um, so there you go. So yeah, but yeah. Team, Big moment. team mom, that's a good one, or like team BFF. Um, but yeah. Uh, but then she gets murdered in her sleep. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, one thing I do like about this book is, and really all the Rogue Squadron books, is they do have a good sense of like, you know, when they capture Borlias, you're like, man, these guys got a sick new planet that like, they've got ion cannons now, like, 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 Things are going well, and like when they lose a fighter pilot, I don't know. They just do a good job of like making you feel the, 
like the wins and the losses of the squadron. It's like on such a small scale almost um, that like, you know, losing yeah. a pilot, it's like you kind of feel it, you know, especially yeah, when like, no, it was written really well where it was like, oh, we all expected that Corrin would die or Jace would die. Mm-hmm. But instead it was this one that we'd expect to do like the safe stuff. She's not going to die in some blaze of glory. Yeah. And she just, she's the one that keeps everyone together and she dies on the ground in the super uh, non-heroic way just in her sleep yeah so that does really it, it was a really good way to set the tone for that yeah uh, especially because with the next battles if nobody had died then they would have been yeah like really unbelievable and kind of bad writing for just how the book was setting up how dangerous it was to be a rogue squadron member mm-hmm. but the fact that they got her killed in that way let them have the hundred or so pages to process that and just kind of totally. focus on that i thought that was really well done that might be my favorite part of the book sergio in the chat says the progress of the accomplishments feel real and earned and i, I agree with that as well because like they yeah. do spend so much time on base that like when they do have this new awesome base where they've managed to like you know or like when they get a new starfighter you know that that's actually going to play you know a role in the battle or like so yeah when they have this new base you're like okay now things will be different like i don't know it just does a good job of making the like the big changes narratively actually play into like the smaller moments if that makes sense which is something yeah. something i really like and uh just kind of jumps back a little bit but one of the thing with taking borlaeus one of the things that i think the uh the x-wing books do well that a lot of other books just kind of feel weird about is how when they win a battle or take a world uh it's not like a lot of other books say like oh we've won at borlaeus so we've Mm -hmm. got borlaeus now and this is our thing but one of the big focuses on the book in uh on borlaeus in the book was just like well if we'd won that they would have just come and take it back yeah exactly like yeah it's like yeah yeah, they would have. Thank it's you like, for pointing that out. And like there was a Star Destroyer on its way, and like, yeah, nothing you could have done. Yeah, so they, the biggest part of their plan is how do we deal with them, whether or not they're going to get reinforcements before we can establish ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, I think that was handled really well as well. Yeah, it's the same thing with Coruscant, like in the next book. Um, and Thrawn deals with this too, like from the other end. It's like when you capture a planet, you want to capture it with the shields intact, like... Yeah, like we could bomb the shit out of Coruscant for like weeks or starve the planet out or go in and blow up the shield generators. But then, you know, some Imperial faction is going to come and like route us. Um, And Thrawn has the same thing with that uh, agricultural world. He's like, we need to capture the shields. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it brings a kind of sense of it's not just like you win a battle and it's yours forever. It's like you've got to hold it, too. Yeah. Especially where like the like rogue squadron is kind of you know extending the reach of the new republic as well one thing i didn't get is like when they go and meet admiral act like they meet admiral akbar a bunch of times is he bringing the fleet to meet them is he are they going to meet him like i couldn't really it seems like he's shuttling around a lot because uh yeah he's is he at borlaeus during the first battle i don't think he um, no uh... i think afterwards he comes in home one yeah uh like he, he does shuttle around a lot and i think it is just him shuttling around i don't think he's bringing uh okay. i don't think he's going anywhere with home one i don't think he's bringing the fleet it's just because yeah. he's usually coming from council meetings as well as what he's saying right uh so i assume home one is just operating 
doing whatever it's doing with its captain and then he is going back and forth from the fleet because mm-hmm. like he's the he's the supreme commander as opposed to just a fleet admiral yeah. too yeah he's so got the political stuff be. to do as well yeah the next book kind of suffers in that a little bit more but in this one and wedge even has a quote about it like yeah we're not fighting the death star but this battle is still important it does feel like just kind of a small part of the new republic's military I think in the next one, you kind of lose that a little bit where they're like straight up assaulting Coruscant and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I do like, it's like, yeah, we're not, if we lose this battle, the New Republic's not going to die. But if we win this, like we're one step closer to the ultimate goal of taking Coruscant. Yeah. I like when the books don't try to say too much about what exact proportion they are of the Galactic Force. Yeah. No. It's better when they don't this Being early messy. on, like the Bantam yeah. books, because... That's how you end up with projections of, like, ten Star Destroyers in the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Like, in the, they do, in one of the problems with the next one is they do do that. Coruscant's defended by two victory Star Destroyers or something. Yeah. Um, so, like, come on. <laughs> come on, guys. Like, <laughs> that's all you got? <laughs> Uh, then you look go to Dark Empire. Yeah. Seventy three superstar destroyers orbiting Biss. Yeah. That's where they all went. Yeah. Well, not yet. <laughs> um uh, I think that covers a lot of that. Um uh, Oh, I I do like speaking of Coruscant, I do like the trips to Coruscant. Um this book really gets shield right, like sh- like how Starfighter shields work and how planetary shields work. Like and they they talk about that in the next book too, but planetary shields are kind of nebulous, and if you don't really read into them, they're super confusing. Like, can you fly through one? Can you not? Because, uh, like, they land on Hoth, but that's supposed to be covered by a planetary shield. This part, this book kind of makes it clear. You can't fly through a planetary shield. When you go to Coruscant, you can sometimes, they open a section up, but then you can get locked in between two. Um, the, so, and they get it right with Starfighters too. Um, where the missiles can't go through shields, but they can overload them, which as yeah. it's just nice that they got those kind of foundational things right, like in a book this early on, because they do mess stuff like that up all the time. You know, Empire War even, you know, messes that up, I guess from a gameplay perspective, but. Yeah, there's also technically a distinction between particle and ray shields right. too, which yeah. the books don't get into because I don't think it's really established yet. And yeah. it's always been kind of messy. Yeah, I where hit, I hit some a... group it as just the shields, and then other places yeah. like the no, there's this kind, there's this kind, this is what they just do. Totally. I had a guy on one of my this very very aggressive and very um, dedicated and passionate commenter on one of my YouTube channels just state outright that particle shields don't exist. They don't exist at all. And obviously they exist in the lore, but like when you watch the movies, um, I can't think of too many occasions where like a capital ship actually has a shield that is shown to stop a projectile. Hmm. There's like the hangar bay doors, but I think those are different. Yeah, and I guess if there's one thing that I can impart to all listeners throughout whatever run this podcast has and whatever run that uh my lore channel has and uh I, I hope this is a message you'll get behind with me here is that uh as much fun as it is to talk about the lore mm. and to try to suss out what makes most sense within lore what's the most consistent thing 
I would like us all to take a moment and remember that none of this actually happened. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> There's no truth to it. It's like... So, do not get angry if someone else has focused a bit more on one particular source over another, even if what you're trying to go for is the most consistent thing you can out of it, mm -hmm. uh, which is what I always try to do or what makes the most sense in the given situation. That will always involve disregarding some other part of it, and it never happened. Yeah, it's just... And I have the same approach with what's canon. Like, I wish that Star Wars was more flexible about what's canon and what's not. Like, I don't think it matters. I think what's... Yes, when you tell a series of books, you want to have internal consistency. But I think ultimately, when it comes to things like video games, what's fun should be what's important. Um, mm -hmm. And I think people are too... And this is partially the fault of myself and, like, other lore channels like you, Corey... Like we do play a lot, of, we do pay a lot of emphasis to whether something is canon. Has this thing been recanonized or not? Um, is this new? Is this starfighter that was in Legends technically in canon? Yeah. Um, and especially with the mod, where we're saying like we're not doing this, or we are doing this because this is how it is, or this is how yeah. it isn't. Like, I that plays into a lot of stuff with a lot of people because they also want to see when they're playing a game what their what that representation is, and that's mm -hmm. part of why they're playing it. But uh, like you're saying, with games especially, uh, there is to some extent where it has to serve the gameplay. And then you kind of have to, when you're trying to, if you have some reason to, if you're working on something, whatever, where you have to figure out, okay, what parts of this are meant to be part of the broader narrative? What parts of this is supposed to be consistent with the universe? And what parts of it did they have to kind of just make an allowance for the type of media it is? And you can kind of get that with scales of battles and different things yeah. you can get that with like how in the force unleashed uh star killer is able to do all this ridiculous crap because mm -hmm. that's just how the game treats the combat versus if you're trying to represent him in a book what's reasonable for it to or yeah. for him to be able to do uh i think pablo hidalgo actually put it in a kind of good way on twitter he said just imagine that each of these stories are being told to you by someone in a cantina um so we're a tap calf or a tap a transmission from a tap yeah imagine you're getting a transmission from a tap calf um from some patron he's telling you generally what happened but some of the details are colored by you know his perspective um so that's just a kind of you know nice way to explain little inconsistencies because if you read a battle in this book and you read a battle in legacy of the force there are similarities and there are differences in scale and how things yeah. work. Um, but that's just, I, I personally actually enjoy seeing how the narratives develop. Like, like I really get a lot of enjoyment out of looking at where topics first appeared, uh, how they evolved over time, you know, what secondary sources change things, the role of the movies of the West end game stuff. Um, and, but yeah, I think your point generally about not overemphasizing just, little details and ultimately just enjoying and live and let live i think is pretty important yeah like my main thing is take it as serious like it's great like it's always fun to have the really in-depth discussions about like well this source says this and this is how this source fits in everything else as opposed to this other source which we should and it like expecting some kind of internal consistency is always important mm -hmm. but especially when the universe is made by so many different authors so many different game designers the writer for game x may not be as familiar with uh, yeah. with the lore, like a lot of the Empire at War, people who were writing the, the missions for that game, they're not necessarily people who have like read every EU thing. They totally. haven't uh, 
read every comic book. They, they haven't read any source book. And uh, it's going to be, there's always going to be that level of inconsistency in everything. Yeah. Like even about stuff that's actually happened, it's very difficult to find something where every detail matches up. And I guess my point is mostly just like, be passionate about it, but don't, but don't be a dick about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what you like. And same with the canon and legend stuff too, generally. Like people assume because I talk about legends all the time that I'm one of those never canon people or whatever else. Um, like ultimately it's a fictional universe about, you know, flying jet fighters and space and space wizards and stuff. So just ever attacking someone over what fake story in a fake universe they like more than the other. It just doesn't seem necessary to me. Yeah. Like who prefers what or who thinks what happened in it. Yeah. Just discuss it. But yeah, don't judge over it. Um, that kind of reminds me a, a good example of a planet that changed pretty significantly once it was uh, brought into the movies was Coruscant. They described Coruscant in this book and the uh, Imperial Palace, very similar to how it appears in the early concept art for, um, what was the planet going to be called again? Uh, Had Abaddon. Have you ever seen that before? Um, yeah. For Return of the Jedi. So, and they describe basically the Imperial Palace as like a mountain coming out of uh, the city, which is very, very similar to what it looked like in the concept art for Had Abaddon. And I, I think the idea of it being a planet-wide city was there, but not to the scale that it would be later with, like, each individual tower is, like, a thousand stories and then built upon, you know, thousands of more stories of, uh, like, duct work and uh, industrial zones and stuff. Yeah. I think the a lot of the way books presented is just that most of Coruscant is a gross place to be. Yeah where there's this nice sheen on the surface mm. or a nice sheave on the surface. <laughs> and if the second you go under that, it's like just disgusting, gross, dilapidated stuff below all the civil servants for every planet. Yeah. Another good example of that is Kashyyyk. Um, I, because Kashyyyk gets such the a tree version, of course. <laughs> yeah. It gets such an interesting version, uh, like an interesting description in uh, heir to the empire and the rest of the Thrawn trilogy. Or maybe it's book two at first. I don't remember. Whenever it's in the Throne trilogy, we'll get to it. And then you get to Revenge of the Sith, and it's like a beach. Obviously, the rest yeah. of the, the the place is there, but it's just like, you know, you got scale. You got what's feasible to pull off in a book versus um, a movie and everything else. They really should have shown some of the scenes in Revenge of the Sith where the juggernauts were driving on the, the bridges between the tree houses. That would have been great to see. That would have been cool. Because that would have been perfect. Um also, there's a mention of a juggernaut in this book. Yeah, that was... Uh, I was actually wondering about that, whether it was something that uh, just happened to end up with the same name, whether it was something mm. that got uh, pulled, kind of like the name Coruscant did. Yeah, so... Or if it's just the turbo tanks were just turbo tanks until someone later retconned them as juggernauts. So they appear also in the Jedi Academy trilogy when they're invading Yavin. And uh -huh. I think that George did pull the name, um, but not... I, do, I don't remember, but I do think he was inspired by the Legends tank to some degree. Yeah. Because I, I can't remember when the first depiction... like Because there's the picture of the one on Yavin. Yeah. Uh, and I think that all came out after Revenge of the Sith, but I've been 
I was trying to. And there might be some concept art exact or something. Was, but there, there, yeah, there could be some like Macquarie concept yeah, art or something. <laughs> like everything is concept he art. He dreamt it in a fever dream and <laughs> accidentally scribbled it on his desk or something. The USS Enterprise was actually based on early Revenge of the Sith. Um, someone art. in the chat said pulled from West End Games based on concept art for Hoth. So there we go. Yeah. They were the original AT-ATs. There we go. That's what. I, that's kind of what I figured. Uh, I guess uh, there's any more of these interesting bits you want to go into, or if you want to just jump to OT references. Yeah. Got two more sections on those. Yeah. There are two real nasty OT references that I hate and that come up over and over again. Yeah. It's Corellians and I've... Odds. <sighs> Twice in this book, Corin says to himself, what loyal son of Corellia ever had any use for Odds? And then he says, don't tell me the odds. You know, Corellians have no tolerance for odds. Christ, we get it. <laughs> like, come on. The one that bothered me the most was the, uh, when Gavin's talking about the whole Beggar's Canyon thing. Oh, and God. Like, what Tatooine farm boy doesn't tell you these stories? Oh, like, no, this was a Luke thing. This isn't a Tatooine thing. <sighs> yeah. Um... Yeah, not good. I also think they really shoehorn shoehorn references into the Katana fleet like multiple times yeah. when it's basically like an old legend. Like, and at one point they're like, "Yeah, we told them the we told them the Katana fleet's over here," and then another point they say something about Rogue Squadron or something being more useful than all the ships of the Katana fleet. I'm like, okay, we get it. You've read the Thrawn trilogy. We know it's the same universe. Ever heard about any of those Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did think the yeah, I, th- I think Gavin as a character is okay, but some of his stuff about Tatooine's a little lame. Yeah, like Gavin gets better in later appearances. Yeah, but right now he kind of gets introduced as a way to like shoehorn in references to uh, to Biggs Tatooine. Yeah, that horrible line for Wedge. Like when they don't focus on that, he's. Like yeah. he's a really interesting character like this really uh uh he's got these connections that he doesn't really uh like he even talks about how they feel very different to him mm-hmm. and how it's good to start getting yeah. involved with this and how he's really enthusiastic really skilled but he's a young kid getting into all this stuff that he doesn't quite understand he doesn't really comprehend totally. uh lost the same way uh but then you get like i'm gonna bullseye wamprat yeah, and I mean, he's kind of a stand-in for Luke, too, because he's, what, like 17 or 18? He's really young compared to everyone else. Yeah, I think he's um, 16. 16, was, yeah. Felt so. a little bit young for this, too. Yeah. Especially he, with how Star Wars aging works. Yeah, and I kind of remembered him as being a crack pilot, but in this book, he's really not. They like, really just hammer on him. Like, yeah, because oh, he, he gets, anyone? like, no kill on the first... <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't murder a person today? <laughs> Are you sure you're in the right place? Like, yeah. Um... <laughs> uh i do like later on in legacy of the force when he's like a he's like an admiral or a commander at that point and he defies jason in some really funny ways just like inconveniences him like jason's like the force is communicating with him he's like gotta move these fleets across the galaxy or else the huts are gonna screw shit up and uh gavin's basically not returning his calls (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, make him sweat a bit <laughs> <laughs> let's piss off the synth lord <laughs> yeah 
he could choke me across the galaxy, but uh, I think there was something else with that. But he he does become the uh, the leader of Rogue Squadron after Wedge yeah. and Tycho. So yeah, yeah, because all the all the mains all the main heroes retire and unretire like multiple times. Yeah, Wedge is still flying his X wing at like ninety seven years old. Yeah, like guaranteed. It's like Lando needs someone to help kill some or help him with the mining issue. Call up Wedge. Like, yeah, the, like Tycho and Wedge even have a few conversations. Are we old men in a young man's game now? Yeah. No, 40 years later, this is literally yeah. what you're going to be doing. And yeah. you're still going to be the best at it. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah, that was other I, than the Jedi that are all flying around at that point. And are just way, way better than you. Like embarrassingly better. Really? Actually, a lot of the newer Jedi, they don't get that's true. There's Kip, there's Jane, and there's Zek. They really get highlighted as the the best pilots, I think. I'm probably yeah. forgetting some. Like, Tessar's all right. Yeah. Uh, Sav is all right. But... Jason is good, too. Jason, it's never, like, he's still not as good as Jaina at that, at least. And Jaina's the better. Well, he has the moment in uh, Legacy of the Force where he goes, like, full... When he's got uh, Alana in his ship with him, he goes pretty ham yeah. there. And Luke, of course. Yeah. Um, I guess he's but not. even with all that, you still have like Jag. That's yeah. Jag seems to be probably like... still better than Jaina. Yeah, maybe. or at least they're close. Like those yeah. two are usually the best in the galaxy at that point. Yeah. They kind of held up as the yeah the new Han and Wedge. Totally. Well, that's like a problem that like yeah. Like I, I was reading Fate of the Jedi three couple days ago and there's a scene where han gets in a fist fight with two mandalorians and he's like in his mid-70s and he survives and he knocks one of them out they're wearing full beskar armor and han punches one in the, the throat or something it's like these people are too damn old to be doing this and leia is like listen i just imagine i think we had the exact same conversation but just imagine like carrie fisher like how she existed as like a 50 or 60 year old doing like the backflips and shit that Leia does is like the books kind of lack uh they don't let the characters age very gracefully no <laughs> well you kind of get that with uh the senator and his wife in the last book yeah well until she gets her memories back then she's like kicking ass at 130 yeah so wielding a blaster so i do find it funny in this book they say um because Jace's grandfather, I think, is dying at the end. And it's like, back to can't heal aging. It's like, go to the right planet, it pretty much can. Well, we never really get what his actual age is. Because he could true. be like 150. He could be 300. Probably is 150. Yeah. I don't think it's that a lot of people are saying uh, it's slower aging in Star, but I don't think it's necessarily that it's slower. Yeah. Just that a lot of the side effects are worse. Or Less side effects uh, aren't as bad. And you live longer because the actual diseases aren't going to yeah. be a problem. Yeah. So like 70 year old Han is still 70 year old Han. Like he's a really fit guy yeah. because he's fighting all his life, but he's still. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a video on I think Reddit a few days ago of uh, a former Marine. Just, I think he's in his seventies and he's knocking out a bunch of uh, 20 year old yeah. guys trying to mug him. And like yeah. that can absolutely happen. But we're talking about Han fighting like warriors in their prime yeah. wearing full armor punching them out and we're also talking about lando who's like 
probably like ridden with space STDs. First of all, like he spends half his life in a casino, and like he's what older than Han, like so. Yeah, Lando's, I think, a few years older than Han, who's a few years years older than Luke and Leia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got way off track. Um, oh, another OT reference. Rivshiel is mistaken for Lax Sivrak, who is the uh, Shishtavanian in the, uh, the Tatooine Cantina. I don't know. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> how many systems does he have the death sentence on uh riv actually has a he does have a death mark because <laughs> that's like where it comes up yeah um uh so anything else you want to talk about from the book specifically or um we did say we do book rankings so we'll yeah. see how i guess Rogue I, squadron I, and trees of the stack up <laughs> i do like how uh they've got a year of mourning for palpatine across the imperial like across the empire but then morning the morning is still continuing on um coruscant i think that the don't the royal guards have the royal like, guards have the, the the band from it still and so Curtin, i think it's kind of cool we didn't really talk too much about Curtin lore no, this episode and, and Gil, Herkway, but or... that's gonna come up a lot more with uh the next couple books where isard's plan with that is gonna come more into play because this is we're going to be talking about the whole X-Wing series. Yeah. So some of that stuff makes a little bit more sense to bring up uh, when some of it starts paying off a bit more. Right yeah. now, all I can really say about Lore is that he's kind of an asshole. Uh, yeah, that's putting lightly. What do you think of the scene where he uh, he does like the really complicated, I guess, it's not like math, but he, where he, he, he figures out where Rogue Squadron is based on like hyperspace vectors and stuff? Uh, it was kind of... It was, it was, it's, it, yeah, it's, it was kind of like, kind it, of you can get where he's coming from, yeah. but as, my big problem with it was that they spend all that time talking about like how they're doing separate jumps so that they can't be tracked that way. Yeah. So you'd get like totally. that section of the initial jump, but he shouldn't be able to track as much as he did out of it, or he should at least know it's not going to be that reliable. He's, but part of it is that his whole, yeah, he's a bit of a character, assuming like a character he's great at everything. Um, same thing, like it's the same thing with like uh, Isard. She becomes one aspect of her. That's the fact that she's fiery and cold, like her eyes. <laughs> and then yeah. um, Curtin is like his intelligence, and like his like he's basically a robot. Like the thing with Gil Bastra, I thought was a little silly um, yeah. with the disease and whatnot, and a little hard to follow as well. Well, I think a lot of that was just to set up all the back to issues. Yeah, I think you're he right. was basically just a, a MacGuffin for mm-hmm. all that. But uh, but yeah, so do you want to just jump into what you thought about this compared to Trisha Bakura? Sure. Will we be arbitrary and reductive in our ranking of these books? Yeah, so I like it more than uh, TTAB. I mean, I enjoy both books, but this one feels much more like star wars the truce yeah. of bakura like it was so early on and it's just really missing a lot of what we would come to expect in a star wars book um but yeah i, I like the characters in this it's very um it's not a nobel prize in literature winner but i find it really enjoying and it's basically exactly what you'd want from a 
from a Star Wars book, which is enjoyable, pulpy, really easy to read, but with enough depth in there that you can still, as an adult, I think, read it and have a good time. So it, right now in our rankings, this would be number one. Choose a Pakura, number two. I'm curious to see whether I'll like Wedge's Gamble more. Yeah, I think uh, I'll co-sign everything you just said. Uh, oh, okay. Definitely feels a lot more like, or not a lot more like Star Wars, but it ha- it hits on all the things you expect uh, Star Wars book two a little bit better than mm-hmm. Choose a Pakura did. Uh, introduces a lot of new characters to kind of... Uh, they'll be showing up a lot with everything we're doing for the next little while, and unlike which was uh Truce of Bakura could I I think my opinion of Truce of Bakura might be a little bit higher if uh if the C Ruby had sort of paid off a little yeah, bit I more. Agree. Yeah. But that book is a lot of setup for the end battle with the idea that they're the C Ruby are gonna be this other great threat, but then that never goes anywhere. Yeah. So because it doesn't feel like a full it doesn't feel like a full arc, but when we evaluate this, we evaluate it as an introduction or kind yeah. of evaluating um you know yeah that makes sense to me yeah like if if we had this if we had rogue squadron as a book and then uh that was it for x-wing and uh lore dairy coat and not dairy coat that just sounds like a dairy queen dipped ice cream cone <laughs> but uh dairy coat yeah. And it started that if they never showed up again, it was like, oh, we took Borlaeus, so we're all good. Yeah. Then I think that would kind of feel a bit flat in the same way that I think Trusa Bakura ends up falling kind of flat. Agreed. It was a nice uh, try, though. Yeah, like it, it's a good book on its own. It's just yeah. uh, it doesn't it's have just, quite the same complete. Fit. Yeah, it doesn't totally. fit in quite the same way that Rogue Squadron does, and I think that's the main thing that puts it over Trusa Bakura for me. Yeah, and this is still so early on that we don't have these... Because Star Wars really does get populated like by a good cast of EU characters. Um, I mean, a lot of them come from Thrawn, but a lot of them do come from these books, even if it's just you know relatively uh, secondary characters like Tycho. There's still like little bits of the universe that we're kind of starting to pick up along the way now. Um, and especially once we pass yeah. that point where we can start talking about like Talon card and stuff, then we start having a real nice cast for the rest of the Bantam books and for the new Jedi Order especially. And one of the things that I think changes a lot more the farther away you get from uh, the early periods of writing, so not like in-universe chronologically, but out-of-universe, mm-hmm. uh, you do get a bit less reliance on... Uh, the OT references yes, and just trying to be like, oh, this is how these people relate to this event from the movies. Like the Battle of Yavin, Battle of Endor, Battle of Hoth come up as if they're the only things that ever happened in the yeah, universe. Exactly. Like 73 times in Rogue Squadron. But as the EU starts developing the characters a bit more, uh, you start seeing a lot more of just allowing them to be their own entities. Totally. And I feel like uh, that does happen a bit more towards the end of the X-Men. Uh, and that's also a complaint for some people, ones. though, too. Yeah, and I can see if you're just looking for like, I want more of this. Yeah. Then I like yeah. the more it gets away from just feeling like it has to rely on those references. Yeah. Uh, you could lose something for that for people for that, but it for kind of, me, allowing it to breathe on its own is yeah. kind of where I enjoy it most. It depends whether you want the universe to be its own thing or to just supplement the OT. And I think if you do want it to be its own thing, books like this and 
you know, big arcs like this, like the the Rogue Squadron and the Wraith Squadron arcs are great little foundations for the world. And they're still early on enough that they have that kind of early... I really appreciate the early Star Wars um, feel to it, I guess. And I'm kind of excited for um, yeah. Courtship of Princess Leia when we read that. When is that chronologically? We didn't miss it, did we? Is it? I don't think we missed it. I think it's between two of the books. It might be between Back to War and... Uh, no, not Back to War. No, pull? Back to War and... Uh... Right, because it's when Zinge dies. Right, I forgot. Yeah, Back to War and Iron Fist. Right. Um, or no, it's after, it's after Iron Fist then. Yeah, but, so... Yeah. Do you want to... We haven't missed it, is the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we should mention, though... I, I was kind of thinking about this after we announced that we were going to do um, X-Wing next. We did skip Shadows of Mindor. Um, but that's kind of a book that you can read later on because it's like yeah, quasi... Yeah, it's a very weird book. Yeah. So I... It, even in-universe, it's not really in-universe. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah. It's something that I feel like we should... Pick up later. You've kind of established what's really going on in the, mm-hmm. in the period and kind of compare that. It's very different tone. Mm-hmm. Some of it... it it's like a holodrama, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we see. can do the same thing with the Tales book too, especially like I don't want to like some of them take place over um, different periods of time. Yeah, I've never actually read the. Uh, I don't think I've ever read the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy, so we missed that as well. Not a big deal. I, I've never, I've never read them in my entire life. I don't think they're. I don't think they're between Truce and X Wing, are they? Uh, according to this timeline, I'm looking at they're. Let's see. Uh, sets so follows Boba after he escapes the Sarlacc. So, huh. So I, I think that's bef- technically parts of it are before Truce of Bakura. Yeah. And then. Right. So maybe we'll read it at some it's point. It's kind of right before. Trees of Bakura. Hmm. Like okay. I think parts of it do extend till after, but it. I'm not. I'm get... not too fussed about meaning about yeah. missing those. Should we, want to give a brief overview to the people? Uh, do you want me to do it? Of the books we'll probably read next. Uh um, yeah, go ahead. Paul. So, I mean, I I think we were talking too. Like we might take a week off from, or like a, a episode off if we have something specific we'd want to cover, but. What we're talking about is we'll probably do X-Wing and then Princess Leia. Will we do Tatooine Ghost, you think? Because that's kind of a weird one. I think... like chronal... Yeah. There'll be some like that where we'll probably find a better place to fit them in. Yeah. Because uh, Tatooine Ghost... We could read that after the duology, couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I was even thinking that you can either fit it in there or you can fit it in. Uh, we could put it between like NJO and Dark Nest even. Oh yeah, that would work. So um, uh, but... we do plan to cover basically as much as possible and yeah. we'll mostly be going chronologically, but just because of the way things were written, uh, mm. sometimes it'll make a bit more sense for us to jump around like that. Uh, and there might be weeks where we're replacing the chronological episode or something. Yeah. Uh, it's also possible there'll be weeks where uh, if there's no scheduled episode where we'll do one yep. to cover something else. Like if, uh, if something new comes out, we can do that as well. But. What What do you think about Dark Empire? I think we should we should do it. 
Yeah, we should definitely do Dark Empire. Uh, but yeah. we might combine all three of them. Yeah. yeah. Rather than trying to do something on every individual issue or Yeah, I agree. Um because I'd want to do Marvel the Marvel comics at some point as well. Oh, the original ones? It'd make more sense to kind of combine it and do like a mega show on that or yeah. uh, talk about that and especially with one oh eight. Yeah. And which was really good by the way. I don't know, did last episode come out before one oh eight was released? I, I think it was right around the same time. Yeah, I can't remember if I had read it. We were doing yet. the video with uh, with Star Wars Theory the explained. week after. Or was it explained? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. So many of us. Yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. If you guys haven't picked it up, you should. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we'll probably do Dark Empire. We'll pick up some others. Uh, and I imagine some, of, some series, like, we could probably do a Dark Nest video, let's be honest, if we wanted. Um, yeah, I mean, if we want to have, like, yeah. If we want to have uh, the Jake and, the Jake and Jason Solo extravaganza that we clearly we clearly need in our True. lives, then do we really want to combine all that? Especially when we're two hours into the first book of the Rogue Squad of uh, yeah. X Men series. Troy Denning has also indicated to me a willingness to uh, to talk or to have an interview. So maybe nice. we could get him on for something some at some point. That'd be really cool. What about like Star by Star? I think would be be awesome for Troy Denning. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I think I've told you, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast last time, but I think that may have been the first Star Wars book I read. Uh, it was oh, definitely yeah. one of the first. Yeah, which is uh, super weird. <laughs> which is like right in the middle of the Usain Vong books. So I think it was something where... What did Anakin uh, just I die just, again? I just, I, I don't know that I, what I'd read before, but or what I'd seen before, but I was just getting into Star Wars mm-hmm. and I was reading a lot and I found out Star Wars books were a thing. And I think my mom found like five at in a bundle together, and it was like one use one NJO book, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was Star by Star. It might have been Destiny's Way, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was like Shatterpoint in there. One of the Med Star duology as well, I think. That's an eclectic so was, collection, man. Yeah, it was. It was definitely not uh, an officially sanctioned, uh, yeah, grouping of the books, but <laughs> it was the first one that I ever but, saw was. Um... Was Lando Calrissian in the Flame Winds of Ossian? They were. It was, I can see how that would have yeah. ruined every other Star Wars book for you. Well, I, I, I didn't read it that, right? because it was in the back. It was like I just remember my grade six teacher had like a revolving thing with books in the back that you could take out and read any time. I just remember seeing that. I'm like Lando Calrissian in the Flame Winds of Ossian and the Mind Harp of Sheru because he had. I think all three were there, and I just remember me and my buddies being like, "This is so strange." And like, as we still kind of laugh about it, but now I've actually read them. <laughs> I was just getting into into Star Wars with like right as Episode Three was coming in, ah. so I watched Episode One and Two with my cousin. And episode Three was coming out, and my teacher at the time was like grade six, seven, or eight, because mm-hmm. I had the same teacher all three years, uh, where he was super into Star Wars too. And then he found out that I just started getting into it. So when uh episode three the first trailers were coming out i think that scene with obi-wan and anakin the part of the duel where they're standing on the table spinning their lightsabers for no reason uh i think that was included in one of the trailers he's like oh no they do this thing it makes no sense so he pulled me to the front of the class (laughs) and has me stand in front of him so he can demonstrate what this thing was that they were doing and it was a very formative experience for me it was very (laughs) is that where you developed a distrust for authority (laughs) 
Wow. Um, yeah, so that that's always good to have Star Wars nerddom called out by the teacher in front of your whole middle school class. My, but anyways, my buddy went to law school with the uh, Star Wars kid, or the Star Wars kid went to law school before him, but he's aware of him. <laughs> uh, the broom video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That poor guy got yeah. shit on by the internet for something that literally everyone has everyone done. Did. Well, I didn't. You've record. never used a broom as a lightsaber. But did you record yourself? Or did, no, but was, did he, yeah. Anyway, right, let's just let's just dedicate this episode to Broom Kid, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, eighth grade U, and any other kid who has been made feel bad about their love of Star Wars. <laughs> just gonna dissociate yourself from this grouping of people. Oh no, no, no! I I, I gotta think of a no one oh. like I was in. I was in the uh, the gifted class at the time, so it was a whole class Ooh, full of nerd. It never leaked out to the to the rest of the school, so I was okay. But it was yeah. still a dangerous situation. But uh, I was actually thinking just to get back on the topic of the yeah. podcast for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could work is if we just go straight through uh, X-Wing to Solo Command, mm-hmm. and then instead of doing uh, the courtship of Princess Leia right away, we could go into, uh, we could do the Thrawn trilogy then, mm-hmm. and then do courtship. But that makes it sense. Depends on how, yeah, just because it's so much, yeah, more connected. Yeah, and we could fit in its Arch Revenge with the like right after Solo Command. Yeah, and then so we, we get do... like the main things that were super and then Dark Empire, then Jedi Academy. Yeah. Okay. Just for for our first episodes to get people in stuff that like really shaped what Star Wars would be, and yeah. then fit in some of the supplementary ones that makes sense to me around that cool. but uh yeah we'll we'll figure that out i guess when yeah, we're not give us your feedback guys podcast, like if you guys want to give us one thing we talked about i can't remember if this was on stream or not but when we get to njo we've got 19 books um so like force heretic there's three of them right we might as well group them all together or like edge of victory it's a duology or I think, except for Vector Prime, I think the first four books are duologies, and then there's Balance Point, and then there's another duology, and there, there's lots of ways we can group it up. Let us know if you want us yeah. to do so. Um, it will it'll be tougher for years. us. Yeah, in, in, in a while. We, we might have to move this to weekly eventually, Corey, depending on yeah. our schedules. But, That's a risky move with a podcast. You don't hear about too many weekly podcasts. No, it's it's very rare. I'd be I'd be willing to entertain that option, but um, for me it like counts partially as working too because I get half of my ideas just from reading. So yeah, I mean for both of us that's really yeah, exactly. I should actually big moment for the channel because I think this uh, this live stream will bring my channel over the four thousand required watch hours to monetize go. my channel. So there a month from now when that get approved or it gets approved, assuming it does, I might actually get paid for doing my job. That'd be great. I can do more videos. Huh. Wouldn't that be special? Let's see if oh, let's see how YouTube you. reacts. Oh well. Oh, I should do just uh videos of people reacting to Star Wars books. That would that's be a good. I that's mean that's kinda of what this is, but it could be like just a ripoff of the Fine Brothers. Oh yeah. <laughs> have a random old lady sit down and read a section. My from... grandma reacts to the truce of book. <laughs> What's a tap calf? <laughs> What's a no-gree? 
What the hell's a Vornsker? Um, She's got great pronunciation for someone yeah, who's just she, reading these for the first time. She really Damn. does, yeah. Um, is there anything you'd like to end off with, Corey? I think I think we're pushing um, uh, yeah, our goodwill here. Yeah, we've the last hour of the podcast is unnecessary, <laughs> but I'm I'm good. Anything you want to bring up? Nope. Anything you're excited for on your channel? Like any any big videos or anything big with the mods or in your personal life that you want to talk about? Okay. Well, uh, apparently I'm getting my grandma into Star Wars books, so that's that's a big personal life thing. Very good. Uh, got a video coming up this weekend on the longest living survivors of Order sixty six. Okay. Uh, Who's that? The well, that's going to be in the video. Is it a tree or something? There might be some trees involved. I don't want to give. There's at least much. one tree involved, isn't there, Corey? There, there is one tree involved and a sweet hat. Are there any Just under? A... Are there any people in a um, in a black hole? <sighs> people in a maybe some sort of station. Some sort of sinkhole station? Um, well, maybe. Okay. Let's all just, let's all just slow down here. Okay. Uh, but we've also got the Imperial Civil War beta going on for... Or... Uh, is the beta public now? Bugs. Or is it Not still... yet. Okay. There's some bugs that we still need to fix before we do that, but in a couple of weeks it should okay. be public. But what yeah. else? Uh, what have you got going on? Any... Any game um, companies would bring you anywhere recently? <laughs> no, I did just come back from LA. If you guys follow me on Twitter or YouTube, you might see that. I got to play Jedi Fallen Order, and I can talk about it now. It was pretty awesome. I did a whole video on it. I'm excited. Uh, I was pretty critical of the trailers. I still do think the trailers were pretty bad, but after trying the game, I'm feeling pretty positive. Other than that, I'm just going to try to get back into the regular schedule of videos. I'm trying to think if I got any fun ones coming up. Um... They're all fun ones. What yeah. are you talking? Yeah. But besides that, no, I think I'm good. Do you want to all sign right. us off? Yeah, well, thank you for coming out again, everyone, for our second episode here. Again, the next episode is going to be on June 27th at 7 p.m. EST on Mr. Eckhart's Ladders channel. channel. Wedges Gamble. <laughs> We're going to be covering Wedges Gamble. Mm -hmm. uh, or some people have been again. calling in the chat Wedges Gambit, which would have been a fine name as well, I guess. I guess if you have any questions for that book that you want us to cover during the episode, yeah. uh, let us know in the comments on these videos. You can uh, email us, please. Email we, us. Did we, we mention this, by yeah. the way? No, we didn't. Ah, crap. Okay. So I've set up an email for us. It's just tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com. I don't know. I didn't talk about this with Corey yet, but one of my goals is to have this be a real book club style podcast. So if you guys have thoughts while reading the book, please send them to us. And at the end, we didn't really do it this episode, but we did last time. So we can monetize them. <laughs> yeah, let us monetize your thoughts. Uh, no, but but yeah. But uh, it would be nice to get some of your guys' input as we move on and try to um, try to get a real following. Um, yeah, here, I'll, I'll put it down in the chat right now. If you're watching or if you're listening on podcast, it's just T-A-P-C-A-F. And then transmissions at gmail.com. That might get caught in your spam filter. I don't know, Corey. Oh, prove it. Okay. I have that power. There you go. I'll also put it in the uh, video version. Video, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any questions for that, I guess if there's also, 
before we sign off, if there's any burning questions you guys have about Rogue Squad, yeah, true. We never asked you. I mean, I'm not in any rush. If you guys have any questions you'd like to uh, to ask about this uh... book, feel free. You can g- I'll give you 30 seconds for the chat to catch up, then I'm gone. <laughs> you have exactly one second to type your questions. But yeah, so uh, if you have any uh, questions for the next book, you can email it there. You can leave it in the comments on the video forms of this podcast on my channel or uh, Eckhart's channel. And I think we're good. We'll do our best to bring them up. Well, I guess if we get anything like that, we'll bring up at the start of the video next time and then ask yeah. the live chat for the questions at the end. But Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, is it right... Okay, there's there's a few. Maybe we'll take two or three. Is it right for Wedge to screw up Korn's score like he did? Uh, just to briefly explain, um, they do this testing run through... Is it through an asteroid belt? It's, th- it's through something. And the goal is to knock as many targets as you can. Korn's getting a little high in his britches. So Wedge sends him first and then uh, feeds his navigational data or his targeting data with the rest of the squad. And the lesson is supposed to be that... Corrin can, I guess that the other people can rely on Corrin and that, anyway, it's kind of a convoluted lesson, but it's probably a good one for Corrin to learn, I think. He got really, yeah. really angry about it, and part of that's the Top Gun mentality, um, but yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, so the basic idea was that Corrin wants to just sort of shine and be the obvious, be seen as this great pilot that wants everyone else to see him. So they get scored out of 5,000, I think, yeah, on their like 3, performance. 000. He gets about 3,200, and then he thinks that that's as good as the squad's going to get. He goes and waits. The other people come out, and everyone has... Uh, even the worst person, I think, had 100 more than him, yeah. Eugene. Yeah. Uh, and so he gets super pissed off. And eventually, I think if Wedge didn't come clean about it, then it's a bad thing to do because Agreed. it's just going to yeah. screw with him. But the fact that it was within a few minutes that uh, Corin came in hot, Wedge explained what was going on, and then didn't back down on that. Yeah, I think it was a lesson that Corin kind of needed. Uh, that the score, because it wasn't necessarily, uh, there was no guarantee that these. This is a competitive thing. It's not a competitive mm-hmm. thing, and that's kind of what Wedge was trying to highlight. Where yeah. if your squad mates gets a better score because they're benefiting from what you did. That is what the whole point of the squad is. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it, it definitely helps the, the squad come together because even Jace is on Corrin's side for that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a common thing for, like, uh, in that kind of situation to kind of try to unite the the squad at first by yeah. turning them a little bit against the leader, make yeah. them be the bad guy, and then explain what you're doing. So just teach them that they can rely on each other. Remember and... Luke kind of does that in... Luke kind of does that in one of the books. He's like, all the Jedi aren't listening to me. I'm going to become Grand Master. Yeah. And then he just, he becomes Grand Another Master. Another moment that involves Corrin. <laughs> because Corrin threatens to quit like 17 times. Yeah. And that's one of them. Yeah. And then Luke's like, don't worry, I'm just fooling. And then he becomes Grand Master. And like. Yeah, because no one called his <laughs> They're like, properly. that's sweet. We need some leadership. And he's like, Ugh. pulling out his collar. <laughs> But I remember yeah, too. Corrin's character arc is actually really good with that. But yeah, yeah, no, it is, especially when like he's up against like uh, there's other more reckless Jedi for a while, like Kip. Yeah, becomes Kip. kind of the. Although Corrin was always by the rules, uh, that's because that's the interesting thing about him. He's like 
he's very by the rules. Even when like his children get frozen in carbonite, he is in the rules or he's very legal or not legalistic, but it's the Corsac. He's basically a, a police officer. So even when he is kind of a hotshot, he's still a, you know, a do it by the book hotshot. Although I guess he does deviate from that a bit here. So, I but guess... we'll keep talking about that uh, in the future books. Any other questions with that? Uh, oh, there's the the kill counting too. Um, but I don't know that that's they count kills and yeah, it's just fighter pilot thing I guess. It's basically Legolas and Gimli, but that's Corn yeah. and Jace. Yeah, and Corn's basically gimped because he's got a. They end up averaging the scores between Corrin and um, and um, Gavin, and Gavin gets like no kills because he's a scrub. <laughs> he he was an ace by the end of the end of the book, though he had at that's least true. five kills. Yeah, that's true. So I will uh, say, I was reading Alphabet Squadron. No major spoilers, but at one point they talk about one of the uh, the pilots going on seventy missions, and I was like, and it was like they're like, yeah, he went on seventy missions. It was pretty chill the entire time i'm like my god 70 missions in this book they talk about rogues going like five basically yeah uh i mean depends on what they call a mission if the co sends them to the fridge to get lunch for the squad is that a mission i don't know do you have to turn your starfighter on (laughs) you gotta cook the food somehow that's true but there's a few questions about uh who's the better pilot the book kind of just says luke is the standard against which all pilots are yeah. judged. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to get a sense from anything other than what the book explicitly says, so I guess we kind of just have to... Yeah, I, I do feel like... Because Jace does come out of some of the battles with more kills, um, but Jace... But usually when Corrin has, like... Yeah, uh, he, he's, like, other pulling double duty do. or something. Like, he's shot down and got hit by an ion cannon. Um, he does get in some bad... Like, Corrin does get himself in some bad situations in this book. Um, but, I mean, he shows a lot of skill really in the simulator which the yeah. simulator bit at the beginning kind of leads me to believe that he is the best besides for wedge yeah and Tycho is probably but he's also force sensitive and yes. presumably was planned to be force yeah, sensitive the it's... entire time i was kind of looking for hints at that and there's... The, there is but one somewhere he's reacting before yeah. stuff happens yeah there's one where it says um his father always told him when he gets a feeling to go with it which i took yeah. to be I, I do I do think he was planned to be force sensitive, or like from the beginning. But. Yeah. Do you like Corrin's joke at the end with Wedge? So. Oh right, uh, to be dead. They think yeah they think they've left Corrin behind on Borlaeus and they'll have to go rescue him, uh, or more likely has just died, but uh, mm-hmm. because the droid we talked about earlier had all the information on the mission. Mirax and Tycho thought the mission might be compromised. They went to wait on Borlaeus and they actually rescued Korn. And because Mirax's ship is so much faster, uh, they got back before the rest of the squad. So uh, Korn leaves one of those messages that they were recording, like just in case they die and gets it transmitted to Wedge. And basically is like, oh, I know I got left behind if you're seeing this. And uh, I thought it was yeah, was a good joke. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah, I don't think you'd want to do that in real life. Like that's, yeah, give someone a heart attack or something. But yeah, one thing, especially um, when you have uh, the commanding officer been struggling. Yeah. Basically, Wedge's whole arc in the book is how much PTSD does he have from losing everyone? It's a lot. And then Corin pulls that. So, kind of a dick move. 
one thing we didn't talk about there are surviving members like wes where's wes in this he's don't they say he's off training another squadron? yeah a lot of the other uh old rogue squadron training other squadron units right because it, it, it kind of makes it seem like rogue like there wasn't a rogue squadron before this book it had been disbanded and then i yeah. guess they're there was about two years where between bakura and now they'd been spread out so much and they wanted to rebuild rogue squadron mm-hmm. uh um, and some of them come back later i think uh i was just scrolling down west's Bobby, wikipedia page and there's a picture of him snuggling with a female bothan and it is not a good looking female bothan either <laughs> let's see if i can link that in the chat All right. Uh, any last questions? I think we've covered. Yeah, there's questions with the Lusanki and stuff, but we'll go d- we'll go deep into yeah. that in the coming videos. We've got uh, we got a bunch more X-wing books to go through, so we can also talk about any any remaining questions you guys have for Rogue Squadron uh, about this episode. If you, anything comes to you and you want to email that to tapcaftransmissions at gmail we'll take a look at that and bring that up at the start of next episode as well. So I think that is a good place to sign up sign off for real for now. Yep. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. I had a really fun time talking to you. Um, don't want to speak for uh, Corey. He usually rips on you guys after the stream, but... It's true. Yeah. All right. It's not true. It's not true. Uh, right. May the Force be with you guys. See you in, not next week, but the week after. Thanks again, everyone. Bye.